The Club Championship Show on OTB Sports. Brilliant game of hurling, edge your seat stuff, Tony Kelly, masterclass from start to finish. To win a Connacht Senior Championship is uh, it's special. The Club Championship Show. Subscribe to the GEA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Yeah, so the football world got what it wanted last night, which is uh, Messi versus Mbappe on Sunday afternoon in the World Cup final in Qatar. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. If you've got thoughts on that, if there's anything you want to um, uh, send out into the ether, then leave a comment on the YouTube stream. So youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Should warn you that we're going to turn off comments unless you're subscribed uh, next week. So just hit subscribe on YouTube if you want to. And we love your comments. So please, it's, it's one little click. You can do it. Come on. Uh, and also, uh, we are going to talk um, some Gaelic football, the the budding bromance which um, Malachi O'Rourke is unaware of will find its full statement of expression a little bit later on Shane is, is mute at the moment because he, he can't speak mm. the voice is uh, the voice is very sultry this morning bonjour G-Mac is, is unhappy yeah. and so something true yeah, yeah. too many but, um, cold beers too many cold beers that's what I like to say but um, yeah I'm going to struggle through the voice is uh, thumbs up if you like the voice let us know in the comments <laughs> <laughs> Or if you also available it. for cameos at ninety nine yeah. ninety nine. Exactly. If you hit the voice, just don't tell me. It's fine. You do your own late night radio show where you just like oh, play yeah. nice tunes. Hundred percent. My mum's not going to recognise me now if she's listening on podcast. She's like, "Where's my son?" <laughs> not on this morning. But uh, yeah, if anyone has any tips for um, recovering your voice, I've tried the salt and water. I've tried the strepsils. Tried the cough bottle. Something. Any tips or advice would be warmly appreciated. Rest and recuperation. I do. I just don't put on record that I said he should go home. But we also have a darts referee on today, do, and yeah. frankly, you know, I couldn't leave you alone with a darts referee. This wouldn't. Have, this would not have been good listening. So uh, anyway, oh. and Maliki as well. I mean, I couldn't miss Maliki. Well, Rock. I mean, that's the only reason you're here. Yeah, we sure. get that. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number, um, and uh, we're actually going to start with the big breaking story in the last twenty four hours. Um, Catherine, you've been covering the story for us a good bit in the past. Um, Houston Dash was the team that Vera Pau coached before. Um, it was a straight from there to here? Yeah, pretty much. She took a bit of a break. Um, she said that she wasn't actually going to coach for a while, that she wanted to spend time with her husband. Um, and then she came into the Ireland job. And so Houston Dash actually issued an apology last night for their the coach who succeeded her and for her actions on the basis of a report that was published yesterday. This isn't the first report. We'll get into the details of the report in a minute, but we're just going to put some context on this. If you're just coming to this story, um, this is a a long-running saga in American women's soccer. Yeah, it is. So this is the second report that has come out. The first one came out, was done by Sally Yates, who's a former US uh, Attorney General, and she did it on behalf of the US Soccer Federation. Now, that one was quite a bombshell at the time when it came out. It resulted in, like, five coaches losing jobs. It, like, kind of rocked the league and very much opened this whole story up. Now, this is a second investigation, and that's a, it's in, this one is into allegations of misconduct in the league, and it was done on behalf of the league and also the league's players' association, so the NWSL and the NWSLPA. Um, the report comes out about a year after the first reports of sexual coercion and misconduct in the league came to the fore. Those were first reported by Meg Linehan in The Athletic. Um, So there's kind of 
no one knew when this report was going to drop. It was very much a, we, we will drop it whenever it is completely finished. This one covers a range of coaches in the league, including Vera Powell, uh, as you said, you also had James Clark, who was also Houston Dash manager, Chrissy Holly, Alice Hugh. Basically, half the clubs in the league are covered by this report that was just dropped last night. Okay, so specifically, what does it say? What are the uh, allegations made against Vera Powell? We hasten that these are allegations. Um, I mean, actually, sorry, one last bit of detail is that Vera Powell did, um, I heard the phrase correctly, showed up for the interview but didn't cooperate with it. Is that how they're phrasing it? Yeah, so she showed up for the interview with the joint investigations team but chose not to go ahead with the interview but then did submit her own statement based on what she alle- what she believes the allegations against her were. The report doesn't include the, her full statement, it just includes sections of it and obviously we will, as we talk through the story, we will also include what she said um, in response to, or well, in response to what she thought the allegations were because obviously she didn't cooperate with the investigation so she wasn't told directly by the team. Yeah, no, I, again, uh, so Vera Powell is actually due in to um, to speak to Nathan uh, later on this week, so hopefully um, she'll continue to make herself available for that. The FAI aren't making any statement on the back of the, um, Mark McCadden has, has that on the back of the star this morning so far, but at some point they are going to have to make a statement because the story is too big for them not to make a statement. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to give Vera Powell an opportunity here, while uh, she didn't answer questions directly it seems she did issue a statement that full statement as you said is not included in it Mm -hmm. but there are many questions raised by this which we need answers to and that's that's going to be very interesting to see exactly what happens next here because you can't ignore this report it's very specific she's named multiple times and at the end of the report there's a blurb which says these are basically the allegations that this report is making again we hasten to add they are at the moment, allegations she has not been given full opportunity to give her side of the story. And um, I think it would be important for Irish football that she comes out and gives her side of the story as early as possible to answer these. Let's go through exactly what's in the report. Yeah, so as you said, there is a section at the end which kind of sums up all the allegations against her. Um, it says that she shamed players for their weight and attempted to exert excessive control over their eating habits. Players credibly reported that Paul criticised players for their appearance, for example, saying that some players were too big while praising other players for losing weight with no apparent correlation to performance or health. She appeared to want to control and micromanage players' diets, exercise and exercise regimes, even when her weight loss directives were inconsistent with sports medicine best practice. For example, players reported that Paul discouraged them from eating fruit because of its sugar content. Players reported that Paul's comments affected a teammate struggling with an eating disorder. She appeared but refused to cooperate for an interview with the joint investigative team, but did provide a written denial of what she suspected the allegations against her were, including a statement that she never remarked on any player's appearance. So that's the general gist of all the allegations that are against Paul. As I said, she's mentioned a couple of times in the report. The report does go over the similar allegations a couple of times so it's not that she's mentioned that many times and there's a load of different things it does kind of tread the same water um but yeah she's one of a number of coaches mentioned in it uh houston dash as you said earlier released a statement apologizing to players and mentioning vera pow um so they said, we apologise to players present and former who were subject to misconduct by James Clarkson and 2018 head coach Vera Pau. And they go on to say that they want to build and maintain a better relationship between the club and players. So, as you said, 
I think the most important thing that happens out of this at the moment is we need to hear from Vera and we need to hear from the FAI because this is an investigation that has happened outside of their remit. It's an investigation that they don't know the details of apart from what's in the report. So they probably need to do their own investigation and figure out what they want to do from that and go from there. Yeah, and again, just to hasten, uh, just to add that... um Vera Pau has denied these allegations, or at least the substance of what she thought was going to be the allegations that were made against her. I think um, she did say that uh, somebody had spoken to her at the end of the season about one of their teammates having an eating disorder. Um, Pau pointed out, well, you know, you needed to come to us a little bit earlier uh, with this information. And Yeah, well, her statement in it was she provided a written denial of what she suspected the allegations against her were, including a statement that she has never remarked on the appearance of a player or kept track of players' weight. She claimed that players had called themselves bulky. Paul acknowledged that at the end of the season, a player had raised concerns to her uh, that her mistreatment had caused a teammate's eating disorder, but Pau denied any role and stated that the reporting player should have taken responsibility as an adult by looking out for her teammates sooner. Okay, like, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's a really weird situation where this report has happened and there's been no uh, answer back just yet. And so we're, we're kind of in that period where we are awaiting an answer back. And it, I do think it would have been valuable for the report to have included the full text of Vera Pau's statement because, you know, again, she's answering very specifically some of the allegations made against her, but that's kind of not given the same weight as some of the other people well, who are speaking in the report. I, well, the entire report is like pulled together with bits of everyone's statements, so it is consistent throughout the report. Like The players who went and talked to it, their full reports aren't given either. So there is, an, it is, and I think it is a common flaw in a lot of reports. And when it comes to these things, there is so much information. Like this one is 128 pages long, that a lot of the time they don't include the yeah, full stick statements. It, stick it in an appendix, like yeah, exactly. Uh, even for fairness' sake. So um, if you have to say like player A, this is their statement. Player B. But yeah, in, in in this instance, though, you do have somebody who's trying to rebut uh, accusations, serious enough accusations that are made against her, and so. Um, Right, so we're in a waiting, we're in a holding period now where we wait to see what uh, Vera Powell says and what the FAI say and I presume none of the players, the Ireland players, are going to speak about this until the FAI have spoken? Well, I doubt it because I assume if there's this report, you know, there have been legal ramifications that have come out from the other reports so I imagine until any... Um, this investigation has included, but until the FAI decide what they want to do and where this goes from there, I don't think anyone is really going to come forward. Um unless they had very specific experiences, but also there's absolutely no evidence to that. So I think it's a wait-and-see job. All right, we'll, uh, we'll leave that there for now. At um, 7.40 this morning, uh, you're watching OTBAM. We're live every morning with Gillette Labs for an effort that's finished your day. Up next, we're going to talk about the uh, World Cup semi-final. First, some Tim Vickery goodness, talking with Joe Malloy on the football show about the magic of Messi. And so, like, on Brazilian TV and, and Brazil generally... Is Messi a celebrated figure? Like this guy's a genius, and 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 we love oh, him yes. too. Yeah, it's universal. Yes, yeah, okay. yeah. He's he's huge all over South America. Huge, and uh, I think there's a real. Some are, are anti-Argentina, 
uh, and some will take the the ABA approach, which is not Amateur Boxing Association. Mm. It's anyone but Argentina. Um, but I'm feeling more. In fact, I did four hours of Brazilian TV today, and this is one of the things we talked about. There seems to be more sympathy for Argentina and support for Argentina than uh, than any, anyone can remember. And a lot of that has to do with with love for Messi's last dance. Mm. Yeah, I think the whole world is kind of on that gravy train. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Uh We'll, we'll let, just briefly, we have to talk about Messi off the back of that. Mm. Is it is definitely his last dance? Is there, like, I mean, he said it. Has, he said it is, and you kind of felt like the the powers were waning. But here we are, mid season, yeah, and he's doing lots of stuff, like <laughs> lots of very high end stuff. As in, you think he'd be capable of continuing in well, four years? Like, why the hell? We, why would he be going to Miami now? You know, he. At the, there was definitely a period where you're like, ah, he can't go back to Barcelona. It doesn't make any sense. But could he not go back to Barcelona? Mm. I think he is. Is he a four Champions Leagues? Uh, Ronaldo is five. That's yeah. the only record he's like behind in. Maybe that's in the back of his head, but <clears throat> doubtful. That's a homecoming, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, the World Cup in Argentina, Uruguay. If that happens, but he's also been involved in the Saudi tourism bid, so he's got his his foot in two camps. I mean, where does he want the World Cup? Saudi or Argentina? Well, let, let's wait and see how that one plays out. Yeah, be interesting to see. But like that, that's that's the homecoming. That's the moment. Thirty-nine-year-old Messi. In Argentina. Well, I was thinking more like a season or two at, at Barca. You're going the whole four years. 100%. I mean, like, you know. Well, if he keeps playing like he's playing, I mean, why <laughs> wouldn't he be able to, to keep going for four years? Like, if Modric probably is more the type of player who will be able to continue. Messi's kind of curtailed his, his style, the way he plays, because of his age, maybe. I mean, he doesn't run anymore, but still has a, an impact on the match. So, be interesting to see. Mark Dunning says Christmas starts today with the Darth beginning. I know, Jer, you don't watch it, but who does Shane or Phil think will win? Phil's not here. Colin's here. Colin, are you a, dar- a dartist, darter, a darty? No, I, I get swept up in the emotion of the whole thing. Yeah. I like the skill of it. It is a sport. John Duggan said if you don't change your shoes, it's not a sport. But you probably change your shoes to play darts. You probably could. Um, no, I, I, I like darts. I, it just signals Christmas for me. I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. Uh, if it's on, I won't turn it off, but I won't go looking for it. But you just hate it, Jared. I don't. I don't hate it. I've I've matured. I, mean, I think we can all grow and change as human beings. I mean, if you want to, you know, have your fun, you can have your fun however you want. Probably the most mental, psychological of sports up there at snooker. Like really, really tough. I mean, <laughs> go, go yeah. Unlike Harry Kane taking a second penalty against his teammate, who's the goalkeeper. Definitely, these are the same. That's very physical. Can I say that was one of the most patronising sniggers I've ever heard? I mean, it but it's ridiculous. Okay. I'm just yes. like Man, it's a psychological Maybe sport. I would agree okay. with that, as opposed to physical. Okay, okay. I mean, there's a physical element to it there. too. But like, he, he's not so tired that he can't take the penalty. He, he blasted the ball as hard. I'd say. I haven't seen the the next gen stats, but. Um, I'd say to answer the question I think Michael Smith is going to win he won the world grand slam I forgot there was a question there yeah there was a question sorry Mark uh, there is yeah the thing about darts now is there's so much there's so much prize money that players have to practice like the quality level has risen dramatically in the last 5-10 years so it's not just some fat lad no it's not just fat lads down the pub it's improved a bit. It's actual athletes. Yeah, it's, okay. Athletes, yeah. Uh, Darrow Tool says, too many gas safety ads for Shane. That's what's happened here with his voice. Carbon monoxide alarm. Um, Don't forget that, Jagger. Yeah, I'd say my voice will be well capable of those ads today. It's the only way to uh, practice darts when you're not playing matches is to actually still play darts, if you get me. So in football, you can do drills and you can do different types of skills and gym work, but it's yeah. darts. Literally, the only training you can do is constantly play games of darts. I suppose it's the same. Is there anything else that they do? Same as snooker, isn't it? Or golf. Golf, yeah. Yeah, I suppose golf, but golf you can specifically do putting, for example, yeah. working your short game. 
But yeah. darts is just literally, I don't know. I'm putting it out there, really, I'm not yeah. suggesting. I know, it does mean Christmas. Like, for a lot of people, December 15th today is now going to mark Christmas because of the darts. I know people find that hard to believe, but mm. it's, a, it's a big moment in my life today. A Philly guy outside is absolutely... Oh, I've never seen him happier. He's so you excited. You can see the darts in his eyes. Yeah. It's, uh, let's talk about the football. Yeah. So, uh, killing Mbappé versus Messi. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we got sidetracked yeah. by the bigger story, yeah. Uh, how were Morocco last night? What did everybody think of them? I thought they were very good for the middle part of the game. I thought they were. I thought they reacted brilliantly to going down uh, inside the five minutes, like one nil. I was like, oh, "Geez, this is this is going to be a procession." Yeah. And then if you looked at the results, you'd be like, "Okay, it probably was comfortable enough." I thought they were excellent. I thought they really. I thought France were average enough for large chunks of the game, uh, especially to start of the second half. I thought Morocco brilliantly. They, they came out so so well, and reacted to. Uh, to go down one 0 which they just weren't used to in this tournament. That's what we said earlier this week. It was like they've literally conceded one goal. It was by their own doing, the only own goal of the tournament so far. And then they um, they conceded so early. And I was like, oh, geez, I fear for them here. But I thought they were very good. Um, and then I was just kind of I, I kind of kept a close eye on Mbappe following our conversation the other day. And I was like, he, he just he's so quiet for large chunks of this game. And there was a moment two minutes into the second half where he picked up the ball and uh, he skinned his best buddy Yakimi. <laughs> And I was like, okay, that's good. That's really good. And he got into the box then. Not too dissimilar to Messi, the way he did it famously already. But his pullback was so over the top that it went like 30 yards out from beyond the box. And I was like, oh, there you go. Mbappe can knock that little subtlety mm. that Messi has. And it was Damien Duff was saying it earlier this week too. It's like, if you compare the peak of Messi and Mbappe, like, there's no comparison really. Messi's just so much better than Mbappe yeah. but at the same time Messi just has this sprinkle of magic I'd like to see more of it and I hope I do see more of it on Sunday I mean it, it, it's possible that we have seen the peak of Mbappe but it's also possible that we haven't right loads of amazing athletic footballers their peak is actually in retrospect when they're bursting on scene and there's not that much tape on them and people don't really know how to deal with them but it does seem as if Mbappe is developing um, and look he, he needs good luck with injuries largely Messi had good luck with injuries over the bulk of his career and so um we, we got to see that over a sustained period of time I guess my point is Duffer's right now but we, we're not sure that we, this might not be the peak this, I, no. yeah, I don't know how much more he can improve though because he's, well, that's he's probably just superior made. for that league that he plays in and it's, it is, he's probably not challenged regularly enough outside of peak Champions League games I don't think he's going to stay there forever I don't where, where would he go? anywhere like, yeah. he, 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 so you, you see in the papers uh, Haaland's dad is basically like I have a fantasy of my son winning every league in Europe and we're going to do it because why wouldn't we? Uh, and so you can see Mbappe at some point realising that um, he is a pawn in the geopolitical sphere and rather than doing that he just wants to be known as the best footballer that France ever produced. So how do you do that? You've got to go to Real Madrid and outdo what Zidane did there. Possibly, but he has the sweetest of sweet deals at PSG because he has all the control. You know, yeah. his new contract now, I think he's, he's not too happy with, uh, he feels that he doesn't have as much control as he hoped he would have in the summertime when he signed that kind of uh, unprecedented deal for a player, which is basically like a player coach almost, and he's deciding and having says over transfers, and that's a great position to be in. Very happy in Paris, and he's beloved, and like, you know, he's worshipped, and it's hard for a human being to put that all aside and be like, I'm going to challenge myself well, with other great players as well alongside me. Uh, and even with like the deal that he has surpasses the influence it seems of Neymar and Messi and he has that and I think well, I won't get this anywhere else and I'm happy in France and I think like why wouldn't he want to stay there he feels good about himself every single week because he's better than most players well he has to win the Champions League in order to to properly achieve there doesn't he yeah I think so I, I would think so from our perspective looking from the outside in with no connection uh, to him but his people will say oh Kylian, like you're the best thing that happened since Thierry Henry to French football <laughs> and he knows that too and one of the other 
key skills of Mbappe is his self-belief. Like, he really does believe he's the best, which is, um, which is the reason that he just, you know, take on players with such ease. But again, I, I was just watching it last night at the back of our conversation thinking, like, this, this guy can do more. Like, he really can do more. And you saw it at the very start of the second half. He skins Hakimi. And he played a big role in the second goal as well. It was a deflection, but he played a big role in that. I was like, that's what he can do. And he should do it more. Uh, uh, yeah, and I think... I, I still do think that there's a possibility that he's not going to just stay in Paris Saint-Germain for his entire career, notwithstanding the control that he's managed to negotiate there. Uh, I think that was very specific in that moment. So, um, what's going to happen in the final? It's Griezmann player of the tournament, isn't it? Or Messi, whoever wins. Um, it's just been unbelievable. I think they're going to give it to Messi, like reg- almost regardless. regardless. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, like think about it, they gave it to him. Was it the 2014 World Cup he got there? No, but like, um, and like he wasn't great in that. I, I think they're going to give it to him. Um, but uh, Griezmann's been excellent. I mean, he was great in 2014. This is this is revisionism. Like he was scoring last minute winners to drag a team that was nowhere near as good as this team all the way through. He's I playing, think he's was, playing better now, though. Is what I'm saying. That was totally legitimate. Uh, maybe, so but like he, that doesn't mean he wasn't the best player in the tournaments. You know. Yeah, but I, I suppose my point is that if he won it then, he's certainly going to win it now in that merit. But like, um, like Mbappe hasn't scored in the quarter final or semi final, so he has to score on Sunday. It's fair. Yeah. He has to. He has to stand out. You know, players who have great World Cups, they score in the absolute key moments to be remembered. He needs yeah. to score. Like he went, he's had two fairly quiet games by his standards now in the quarter final and semi final. Yeah, the golden boot set up nicely. You've got Mbappe and Messi on five, and you've got Alvarez and Giroud on four. So. I mean, it's anyone's. It, no, it, it is. I actually can't wait for this final. I'm, I'm delighted it is the final because, let's be honest, in, in review now, the semi-finals are a bit disappointing, like mm. 3-0 and 2-0. And I think, so far, the quarter-finals have been the, the best part of it. Uh, but we got what we wanted. However, we got, we, that's what we got. I mean, we wanted. We got imagine, imagine the Brazil semi-final against Argentina. I know. That, no, that was... I was watching that. I was thinking, oh my God, like, as much as I admire Croatia and their wherewithal to keep them going, I was oh my God, this could be Brazil. It would be incredible, but look, the final is is going to be great. Like it's the the stadium is going to be very pro Argentina. It's going to be vast majority of their fans, so it will feel like an away game for France, so to speak. But it did feel like that last night too against Morocco, and they struggled for large portions of the game because yeah. Amrabat in midfield. Ah, he's class, isn't he? Oh my god! Yeah, he'd be in the team in the tournament. Yeah, we sure. got not made nicely by Mbappe, but uh, yeah, at the true. end, but he was wrecked at that stage. But oh my, ah, his technique and his um, his positioning, mm. he's always in the right place. Ah, he's phenomenal. Um, but if France win, Griezmann will be player of the tournament. Has to be. I mean, there's, I think he will. Yeah, there's no argument there to be said. The way he only no, played the, unless Mbappe scores a hat trick in the final. Well, of course, yeah, yeah. But the way Griezmann only played the last what twenty minutes of games for Atletico this season, maybe that's he, led can, to he comes refreshed. on in the sixtieth minute. Yeah, in the contracts. Yeah, yeah so he's nicely. Built I thought they sorted that out in the last couple of weeks. Did they not? Did they not do a cup price deal and all that bollocksology is over? I think they certainly are sorting it out, yeah, but it was yeah. the case for a large chunk of the season. It so was, far. in fairness. Yeah. He's, he's pretty well rested. Yeah, yeah. Um, news from the, the London Times. Argentina's players celebrated their World Cup semi-final win over Croatia by singing a song that insults the English and references the Falklands War. No. No. Sh- shocking behaviour. Ban them all. Send them home. No final. Just give the cup to France. I think like it's the only true and just and right thing that should happen here. Get one of them on Sky News for a oh, the history lesson. Hard hitting interview. History yeah. History yeah, yeah. What, what sure. would the history lesson be? Yeah, we, we do own an island off your coast. Yeah, it does seem a bit strange that we own an island thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away. Yeah, it does seem a bit strange that like um, we 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 rejoiced in in the front page of our papers about the death of. Um, the sinking of a ship like that we absolutely rejoiced about that it mm. does seem a little bit odd in retrospect it. anyway the Falklands now do you want to hear the song 
Yeah, one of the lyrics. Yeah. Translated, the key verse runs, What happened, Brazil? The shriveling five times champion. I mean, what, what's shriveling? Uh, Messi went to Rio and clinched the Copa. We are the Argentina army and we will always sing because we dream of being world champions. Somebody in the comments is saying singing songs is in their culture. It is, Miguel. It is. Correct. That's how I am. I'm Argentinian. The English efforts from the Falklands, I don't forget. That's how I am. I come to... Turn to page 53. Thought you were going to sing it. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. No, I come to sing. And I follow Argentina everywhere. The word putos, which is used uh, to describe the English, um, can have homophobic connotations. Oh. Uh, the communications officer of the Argentina squad was approached for comment, but has not responded at the time. Going to press. Shocking behavior. Jeez. Send, send them home. The Argentines have been getting in trouble for their dressing room behaviour. Was there stepping on a flag or something at one point? Was like? there? Oh, it, it was. Uh, that was Canelo was pissed off. Oh yes, Canelo was threatening to beat the shit out of Messi. <laughs> like you know, I mean, when Canelo obviously bit of an unfair fight that one. I it, think. it might be slight slight difference in weight. Yeah, um, but then Messi said uh, uh, somebody fixed it. This was very early on in the tournament. There was a Mexican flag beside. I don't know what. I don't know why it was there. I don't know what had happened, but yeah. Canelo um, went took to Twitter, and then was it uh, was it Batistuta or was it um, Aguero who fixed the the issue? He got involved. No, 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 no. Aguero did get involved, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, right, there you go. Uh, third place playoff could be good. Two small countries going at it. I mean, maybe third place playoff makes some sense when it's countries like this, and the bronze medal might um, make a bit. That's of difference. a big deal for sure. I'd love to see Morocco do it. Kieran McGregor says hot water and honey for the throat, Shane. Yeah. That's a good shout. Phil Egan said the same thing and he did the exact he did that. Really? That's what you have right now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Hot water and honey. Um We'll see if it works. Thanks for the It's a fun quiz advice. for everyone to play at home there. Yeah. If you want. Are you name all the third place uh, fixtures since two thousand and two. That's very tough. that's very difficult. We tried this in the office the other day. Oh, I did. And we came to a bit of an impasse at certain stages. There were some great shouts. Like for example, a member of the OTBAM team, Cameron Hill named one of the participants in a third place playoff in the 2010 World Cup and I had absolutely no idea that they got that far. I mean, you know, so, with, look, with all due respect though, yeah. like you forgot the most famous game in World Cup history. You just blanked that from your mind or you just completely erroneously thought that it was the quarterfinals. I, I kept on thinking everything was around behind. Right. Yeah. Everything, I kept on thinking everything was last 16 quarterfinals. Like you were around behind. He forgot Brazil, Germany in Brazil when, like, were, you, were you involved in this uh, fun game in I the was, office? I was, I was, I was working. In the background. I was working. Like, uh, yeah. Well, it's technically actually better to work. Yeah. So Is it? I, had, I, I actually thought, I was convinced that that was the quarterfinal, Brazil-Germany, from 2014. The, I remember the 0-2-1, I think. That was Turkey-South Korea, wasn't it? That beyond that, I'm like... Yeah, Turkey-South Korea, yeah. That's the first one. I can't yeah. remember many beyond that. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was a vague recollection of 1994. Hirschel Stoichkoff needed another goal to be joint top or top oh, goal yes, scorer. Yes. I can't remember who they played against. They got hammered. And I just remember the whole game was basically, oh, God, just give it to his own. Was it Romania? Did Romania make it to the other Romania semi? did well that tournament. I don't I know think if they, they got, got beat in the quarters, though. though. I don't know if they got that far. I think Argentina beat them in the quarters. Did they? Oh, I can't. 94? Yeah. I ah, like... Throwback. Look who you're talking to. Yeah. yeah, look who you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Not fans of history. <laughs> I love that World Cup. Diana Ross. I love those nets. When the nets used to go back miles. Oh, brilliant. All the goal nets are the exact same now. Bring that Remember back. Remember that Filbert Street used to have the... Um, this is a, like a slight tangent, whatever. 
my uh, audition for it. You go like slanted the Filbert Street nets. I love know? how we're just like a secondary consideration here. The, the morning listeners who are your and bread the, and butter who love you call them and you're like just trying to pie them off to go and score with somebody else. Well, no, it's more so I, I, I like talking about this, but I know you don't. So Dance with the one from you. Somewhere else, That's yeah. Go on, finish off your slight tangent audition there. <laughs> well, the nets in the Dell, Southampton's old stadium, are like right next to the goal line. So every time they're like, Matt Letizia scored a screamer, it wouldn't look that good because it would just bounce straight back out. So that was my memory anyway. It should look better. Of uh, USA 94. No, I loved the, the old, uh, the nets at Anfield uh, in the 90s had the kind of, um, do you know the one I'm talking about where it slants inwards? So yeah, there's yeah. kind of the corner, it's very pronounced and there's some great goals scored net as a result. So I'm just thinking every goal looks the same now, homogenised. Cool story, bro. See, I knew it. Like, you know, if this is Joe Malloy, like, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah. we go into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you can marry Joe if you want. Go on. I also noted your hoodies. Pretty nice. It's like a before and after hoodie. Two of you. Um, Made it in the wash. Uh, quick, quick, like, slight, slight. Uh, so, do you know where the French ambassador lives in Ireland? Do you know um, E4 somewhere? Bosbridge. It's, Ail- it's Aylesbury Road, which is like the yeah, most expensive. And it's it, it's yeah. the nicest gaff. Have you, uh, have you ever seen it? If you yeah. ever wondered what the biggest, nicest gaff on Aylesbury Road is, you probably, it's on your walk. You're even yeah, I walked through there being like, what could have been? Oh, there's yeah. a, um, Embassy Road, it's called, isn't it? Because there's Pretty much, the m- Belgian embassy is there. there. I didn't realise the Russians also live there. Um, yeah. The Dutch and Spanish are beside each other. That's yeah, actually before yeah. that again. So, Spanish uh, gaff's amazing. Um, the French ambassador was in earlier in the summer and we gave him a tour, got him, got him to sit down and have a photograph and... Uh, an invite arrived in my inbox last week oh. for his Christmas party which happened to coincide with the game last night oh. so my wife's a French teacher I was like we're definitely going to this mm. I mean this is because like, you walk past that house oh, it's like all your life going what? we used to live close by and uh, so I'd love to see what's inside there and so we, we and you go I, of course I did <sighs> who do you think the first person I met when I got there was the French ambassador after him dickhead <laughs> Uh, Macron the Moroc- Moroccan ambassador no they weren't together the Moroccan ambassador no come on you know him That's, uh, I don't know Adrian Barry oh no I walked man. in I was what like, I mean French uh, wine Dr. and Livingston, cheese I presume exactly yeah French it's wine like, and cheese I can't get away from it Why, what was he there for what were you there for was it the same the reason I'd love breed. if he was there for a different reason that would have been amazing it was a Christmas drinks party to watch the match. No, I do appreciate the invite. Thanks. So you thought it was an exclusive invite, but apparently not. not but that exclusive. obviously ruined it. Yeah, I was like, hey, no, but it was, uh, I, I was not surprised in the least. That's disappointing. But was it a nice house? That's more important. Amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Right, it's 8 o'clock. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Gav Cooney's going to be joining us from Qatar next, and after that we're going to be travelling around the world with Shane Hannon. If you want to make any suggestions for that, by the way, feel free to uh, tweet us at Off the Ball AM. Carl Milani's going to be in with the sports news before we're joined by Glenn Manager Malachi O'Rourke to mark the start of the darts. Ref George Noble will be on, and then uh, we'll finish up with Michael Verney, who was on last night's show. But uh, I think um, Fergus Keogh is making the point that Griezmann has been player of the tournament. That's another vote for him. And Miguel says Argentina are going to win by two. Gav Cooney's there. Gav, good morning to you. Hello, hello, Qatar. Morning, Jerry. Uh, not to feel you, um, make you feel even less special than evidently you already. Um, Obviously, are. I too managed to get an invite to that French ambassador's party, but obviously couldn't go. You turned it I'm down. Mistake. Stuck here in Qatar. Mistake. I was very, very. There's, I've, I've got quite a bit of FOMO this week. I have to say between Christmas parties, etc. Uh, yeah, and that too. Uh, well, go the next time. That's all I'll say. Mm. 
does, it does make the next day work a little bit harder, especially when your mm-hmm. partner in crime is Crokey McCroke here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so who's your player of the tournament? This is the, the first conversation that we've been having. Uh, what does Antoine Griezmann need to do to uh, prevent Leo Messi from picking up the bauble? Uh, that France would win the World Cup and even still then Messi might still win it as he did rather grudgingly in 2014 after Argentina lost and Messi uh, well actually Messi didn't deserve to win the player of the tournament in 2014 but I think he deserves it now I think Messi's player of the tournament uh, and Griezmann and, um, and Mbappe are, are also in the running Griezmann has been outstanding for France uh, throughout the tournament in this retooled role of a deep lying creative midfielder who does a lot of the defensive work of that uh, French forward line um, and he was excellent again last night so he, he managed to find those little pockets of space around uh, Morocco's pretty compact shape so Griezmann is there Mbappe remains the difference maker he doesn't he is just watching him in, from the stands he is exquisitely disinterested in defending uh, which did cause France a problem in the second half but he ultimately is the difference maker he usually is for France um, and Messi and he, he won't get. They won't get it now because Morocco are out. But Azadine Unahi, the number eight uh, in midfield for Morocco, he's a, he is absolutely brilliant. I mean, I know he's linked to Barcelona. I think there's probably better moves out there than um, him going to Barcelona, given Gavi and Pedri are already there. But uh, he he is outstanding. Uh, is there is there? Uh, sometimes we like to overact in overreact in the moment to trends, but sometimes World Cups do kick something into. Uh, the best coaches' minds. The idea of taking a forward and putting them into central midfield, it's not new, right? But uh, if you've got someone like Griezmann uh, or Phil Foden, say, perhaps we might start seeing some good ball players playing as that deep-lying, holding midfielder and that's the next trend as opposed to the, oh, he's so good he can play centre-back or midfield. Plausibly, I think Griezmann is a special case just because his work rate is so good. He's such a unique player. I mean, he's, you know, I can't exactly remember the Diego Simeone line after he left, uh, after he le- initially left Atletico for Barcelona, like asked, how do you replace Antoine Griezmann? Well, how do you replace a guy who's a striker and, and a midfielder all rolled into one? You should, like, I mean, Griezmann's work ethic is absolutely excellent. Like, you can obviously see it again from the ground. He's, he'll often pop up back in his own penalty area, hacking clear uh, crosses. He's the one who stops mm. counterattacks sometimes rather cynically. I know England were very exercised that he didn't get a second yellow card in their quarterfinal. So I don't know if you'll see that become a trend. I mean, plausibly, I think the trends we, we've seen at this World Cup is, uh, the big number nine is back in fashion. And we've probably seen it, it uh, at club level as well, given that Erling Haaland has signed for Manchester City and, and perhaps to a lesser extent with Darren Nunez signing for Liverpool. But uh, central strikers have been so important in this tournament. Olivier Giroud, Giroud did not have his greatest performance last night. But he's been very important for France. And, you know, you do wonder, like, when you talk about trends of this tournament, is this the kind of the late-age decaying tiki-taka, like... You know, we've seen the limits of it in many ways. Like Spain went out as a parody of themselves. Morocco showed how to defend against it. You just, you're just, you just fold into a really compact shape of about 15 meters between, uh, between the defense and the forward line of your team. You just don't give uh, teams any space or any angles with which to make those passes. And then Spain struggled. Germany struggled as well. Like Hansi Flick went out lamenting that we needed a reboot. Um, Arsene Wenger had an interesting stat from the group stages that eight, there was an 86% increase on goals scored from open play crosses at this World Cup. He said that meant that the team with the best wingers would win the World Cup. That might also mean that the team with the best central striker might win it either. 
Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if I if it automatically follows the team with the best wingers. It's like uh, you know, maybe if you had Trent in your team, you might have been able to uh, lump a few good quality balls into the box. I, and look, it's obviously re- revisionism at this point. Um, you know, Trent in his absence has become a call celeb for certainly the Liverpool supporting uh, England analysts. Um, let's go back to Messi though, right? Because he's your mm. your pick for player of the tournament. Um, Sometimes when you're at games, you actually miss the genius because it's like so close and so fast. What was your view like of the uh, the Messi assist? Mm, well, I mean, the, the great thing about Messi is that he's not fast anymore, and yet he's still he's still pulling off these these tricks. Like he faces up Yasko Gvardiol down Argentina's right wing. Like now, Gvardiol has been the best defender of this tournament. He's 15 years younger than Messi. He's 15 centimeters taller. So I mean, it's all <laughs> it's all weighted towards Guardiola winning this uh, battle. Messi goes by him, but then doesn't have the the burst of speed that he once had uh, to go straight into the box. So Guardiola then catches up, pushes Messi back out toward uh, facing toward the uh, the flank. So Messi then just has to kind of beat him all over again. He checks back a feint to his right, and then that Guardiola buys hook line and sinker. Then away Messi goes. He just wriggles away down along the end line uh, and slips the pass through. It took me. I was only on replay that I realised that the pass went through Guardiola's legs uh, and was then obviously tucked in by by Julian Alvarez to to frame the art. Just amazing moment. You know, I have to say, it's such a privilege to be, uh, you know, have a effective ringside seat to. Uh, to performances like this from Messi like why thinking about this like why do we want Messi to be why do we want him to win this World Cup because in many ways he's not that likeable a guy you know he's uh, he's on the Qatari payroll he's taken a, um, a money spinning uh, money spinning ambassadorship with uh, with Saudi Arabia you know he's not he's not the sweet son-in-law anymore he's got a beard he's tattooed he's tattooed he's flaring his nostrils like any of the great Argentine players of the past but I think we just want to be we just want to see important things happen. We want to see great events. We want to say that we were at the World Cup that was the counterpart of Maradona in 86. We want to see things endowed by the genius of the greatest players. And that's kind of what's happening at the moment with Messi. Like he has been brilliant. This has been his best World Cup performance. Forget his age. Like this has been the best we've seen at a World Cup of Lionel Messi with a better supporting cast around him, though limited in many ways as they are. And now this, uh, the the impossibly beautiful dream uh, of uh, of Lionel Messi in Argentina is one more one more step to go. Although uh, it is obviously the most difficult one. Did the atmosphere noticeably change when Messi got the ball, Gav? Uh, did it? Yeah, I, maybe people maybe there was a slightly pregnant pause of breath, um, but. I don't know, like the Argentine fans just keep on singing, you know? I mean, the the atmosphere that they create is fantastic. Like, they're, they're, they don't really have chance. They have these kind of epic poems, which they sing on Endless Loop. It's so, it's it's got an amazing rhythm to it. And unfortunately, you only hear it during the game because the inane pre-game hype dazes it all in uh, in in crap music over the two loud PA system. Uh, but I think there probably was a pregnant pause. I'm, tr- I'm just trying to remember. There was definitely a... You're not allowed to cheer in the press box, and I do obviously respect that. But there is there there are a couple of sharp intakes of breath in almost disbelief. It's just such a great thing to watch. And then uh, the reaction of the Argentine crowd—it's amazing. Like after Messi does anything, uh, they literally they bow in supplication at his feet, chanting Messi, Messi, Messi. Like it is a it is a religious reverie. It's funny, like if if um, Ibrahim Kanate plays like he did last night, at least 
France could have a chance against that Argentinian attack. Like, yeah, Canati was really good, wasn't he? Like, Obama got had a flu. This is—I don't know how much of an issue this is going to be for France, but there's a, there is a kind of a flu-like virus uh, sweeping through their camp, as it has swept through many camps in Qatar, including the press corps. Like, the, a lot of journalists have fallen quite ill. A couple, of, I think, have been have been sent to hospital. A couple have gone home. There are an awful lot of coughs and sputters uh, among us all, and uh, it's affecting players' camps as well. So Rabio missed with a virus as well last night. Pamacano uh, was sick as well. Both were isolated from the squad. Pamacano is um, he's I think he got ill before Rabio, so he's probably more likely to be ready for the final. But I guess the terror is that uh, for France is that other players might be affected by the, by this virus. Um. That would be really annoying if all of a sudden there was uh, a massive imbalance in the two teams as a result of that, given that we got this far. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you make the point about Messi, but the same thing can really be said about Mbappe. If if he pulls off, he's on the same schedule as Pele, basically, a couple of years behind or a year behind um, when Pele won in, in 58 and 62. And, like... Uh, yeah, he's, he's right there in any of those conversations. If he wins two World Cups by the age of, is he 22, 23? Is he turning 23 mm. soon? Like, it's ridiculous. He's 23, yeah. yeah. No, he would be the most dominant player across multiple World Cups since Pele. And he's absolutely like, oh, the quote, I mean, what is more can you really say about him? Like, he is, he's brilliant. He is exquisitely disinterested in, de- in defending. Um, one of the most thrilling things I've ever seen on a football pitch is his speed from a standing start. When you watch him for 90 minutes, you realise how committed he is to the standing start. Like, he really doesn't move a whole lot until the ball comes near him. And then he just explodes, you know. Like, he he doesn't really run on to through balls. He just kind of teleports to them. I've never I've never seen such pace in my life. But then it's not just pace, is it? Like, I mean, he's got the he's got the feints. He's got the swerves uh, of the body to uh, to deceive defenders, which uh, obviously Messi had. Messi still has, although Mbappe is, is working at, at, at the speed that... Well, probably even a greater speed than Messi was capable of in the prime of his career. So, yeah, they're they the two. I don't know. There was a great picture after the 2018 World Cup when France beat um, beat Argentina. It was of Mbappe and Messi, and it felt like a passing of a passing of the guards. Messi's still around. It's not over just yet. Mbappe will become the dominant player of his generation, but uh, the guy from the previous generation is uh, is still hanging about. It's a bit like 2018 as well, Gavin. That like France in some ways have been unconvincing like the same as they were four years ago but went on to win they're so like they're a truly irritating way of winning games France don't they I mean they're uh, they've got this collection like in terms of collection of individual players they're the best international team in the world at the moment I'm struggling to think of counterparts for them in my lifetime at least um, and there's vast swathes of games where they're nowhere near as good as they should be collectively I mean they just kind of almost do nothing you know <laughs> I mean and then they obviously give opponents hope uh, and then they shatter that hope through their individual quality and we saw it again last night I mean Morocco took over after half time that, that was partly down to the bonus of their approach Morocco were the better team for chunks of that game France again weren't really doing anything they don't Control possession. I've never seen a team so good, so always being able to play in the counter attack. I cannot understand it, but it always manages to happen. And then Mbappe just beat dance, dances by three players in the penalty area, and his shot um, falls to the substitute whose name currently escapes me. I'm sorry, uh, who rolls it in with his first touch, but. You know, you say it's. I mean, it's the same conversation, Shane, as we had four years ago. Like our France, 
you know, I, there was a line in the Guardian, like, are France actually any good? <laughs> they clearly are good. They're not as, as good as they should be. Um, and it should, they definitely aren't as good if, um, as if, if this side was a club side playing together all the time, they'd be absolutely phenomenal. Um, but they, they, they sometimes look like they lack cohesion. They often lack flow and control of games. But they've got, you know, they've got the ultimate counterpunch and they uh, managed to, they managed to take that out of their arsenal in every game they play. Um, really for Morocco to have one last, uh, look, maybe, maybe there's a, a way for them to come back, but we hadn't seen them concede really. And, and so it turns out it's very difficult when you're a team built not to concede and you do concede so early on. But was there just a little bit where the head coach bottles it a bit? at the start and mm. then realises ah I bottled that and fixes it and then it's like oh this could have been much better I think so I have to say I think I agree um, because we they, we going into the game we thought they'd lost three of their first choice back four in Saiz Aguerd and Masrawi and then all of a sudden all three were named to start in this back five uh, but by half time they'd lost them twice um, Aguerd pulled out of the warm up currently he was he had he had the flu as well like he had this virus um, and then Saiz was clearly unfit. I mean, there, there is there is no more basic fitness test than do not be outpaced by Olivier Giroud. And yet he was. He hobbled over to that long ball and Giroud hit the post and, and Morocco got away with it. And then Maserawi didn't appear after half time. So that was, I think that was probably a mistake. You know, I, I don't know if the coach admitted afterwards that, you know, this is probably a step too far because too many of our players weren't fit. But then they swapped from a back five to a back four after Sykes went, went off and they, they were much better, you know. They, uh, now look, partly that's because France were a goal up and they, they didn't attack with the same vigor because they could, you know, France likes to soak up pressure and hit you on the counter attack. But they looked better with an extra man in midfield. All of a sudden, you know, our, our old pal Unai was, um, and the, the replacement is at Ama, um, Alama. Uh, managed to find loads of space in behind Fofana and, and Chiaomeni in the French midfield and started like linking quite well with Ziyech and Buffal and, uh, and creating a couple of chances and, and causing all kinds of, of problems for France. So I do think, you know, I mean, it's, there, there is always that temptation, isn't, isn't there to, to hope that, you know, your top players, your top players are fit. Um, Jurgen Klopp did it in the Champions League final when Thiago seemed to get injured in the warm up and then started after the game was delayed by however long that kickoff was delayed. And it probably turned out to be a mistake. And there was a mistake here again as well. Like, what, what type of final do you think we can expect, Gav, in terms of styles of these two teams? Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Uh, I haven't really thought too much about it. I mean, France, I mean, France are probably favourites. They're the better team. Um, does this have the cue of destiny for Argentina? I'm not so sure. It'll be interesting to see how Argentina set up. I mean, they have changed their approach game to game. Lionel Scaloni has generally got a spot on, went to a back three against the Dutch to match them up, went to a back four um, in the semi-final win over Croatia. He'll probably stick with a back four. How they deal with the threat of Mbappe is going to be interesting um, and how um, how bold they are in, in response to it because we saw differing approaches. So England took the cautious approach that Kyle Walker was picked at the right of a back four, but he didn't go forward. When England had the ball, it was a back three. Kyle Walker did not cross the halfway line to Mark Mbappe. Morocco were actually the bolder of the two teams. They pushed Hakimi on in the second half and because they knew Mbappe wasn't going to defend and just said, OK, look, let's take the risk. And, you know, it almost paid off. You know, Hakimi and Ziyech completely overwhelmed Theo Hernandez and, and Morocco created a couple of chances. And France only really got, got control back in the game when they put Mbappe up front and brought Marcus Churam on, on the left to uh, provide a bit of defensive support. So Molina is the right back for uh, for Argentina. It'll be interesting to see if maybe Di Maria is picked 
Um, and if Di Maria is indeed fully fit to see, just to try and give France an issue, a problem going the other way because down there, down France's left, they're attacking wise, they're absolutely brilliant, but they're very de- defensively, they're very, very ropey. You know, Mbappe doesn't defend and Theo Hernandez isn't very good at it. So it'll be interesting to see how bold Scaloni is there. Um, and Messi, look, I mean, Messi will drop into those pockets of space that behind Chiamini and behind Fofana, maybe Rabiot will start again where France have looked weak and he can cause damage there. But, at, uh, as the Irish journalist Joe Callum was pointing out to me yesterday, Argentina have looked pretty, have looked better as they've gone on in this tournament, but they've never faced, they haven't yet faced a team with raw pace up front. You know, that, that is a big issue for them. And obviously France have that, um, obviously in, in Mbappe, but also in, in Dembele. Uh, Argentina play soccer like a great GA team with passion and skill says Powell 74 but are one bad challenge away from losing it and throwing it all away you can see a bench emptying something happening if uh, if it's not going their way with five minutes left to go here and um, I for one am fully signed up to see how that uh, ends up uh, it's another one of the reasons why we, this Argentina journey is often so intoxicating like they're so brittle like they could snap at any moment they're you know I was, I was writing that they remind me of like a Jane Austen character who used to take to bed with an excess of feeling like I mean there's just so much going on with Argentina um, but they withstood the pressure of the semi-final quite admirably we'll see how things go uh, in the final and whether that pressure will be too much I mean I don't know. I, I did speculate whether it would be ahead of the semi-final, but maybe not. You know, maybe I, uh, maybe I was, maybe I was wrong on that front. I, I, um, it's not quite a fifty-fifty game with the bookies. France are slight favourites, but I think France should be much more favourites than they are for whatever reason. Like they're a significantly superior team, and uh, if Argentina pull it off, it, it's not that it's uh, preordained. It's that something magic has happened, or they've somehow dragged France down to a level where France forget that they are superior. Yeah, quite possibly, I think. But the, the other kind of magic is the magic man. You know, I think part of that is on, it's kind of like almost like part of those rating Argentina are, kind of, are almost kind of willing it into existence because there's such a desire for this to happen for Leo Messi. But look, France are, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Like France are, are much the better team with, with the better players in most positions. But, uh, you know, Argentina do have the best player. I wonder what result, what we want from an Irish perspective. Like, do we want a World Cup winning France coming to Dublin in March, or do we want a like? Hey, what's the best scenario here? Do we want? I mean, regrettably, Shane, I don't think it matters a whole yeah. lot. <laughs> Deschamps will be in charge. Like, I think we were wondering, like, was this Deschamps' last stand, and that Zidane would take over and add further glamour to a game in March in Dublin which let's face it has way too much glamour as it is <laughs> I would uh, I'm missing like our old pals at Denmark at this point um, don't know like I mean the hope is you get France in, in some kind of World Cup hangover um, but I uh, I don't I, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to go to the World Cup final on Sunday worrying about the uh, the impact on Ireland on March I have to I'm afraid I'm going to admit that uh, Deschamps is, is that like fully signed confirmed not like a ah oh, we'll talk about that later or are we doing this just to I see now I heard uh, sorry I only heard Philippe Auclair uh, reporting it and, and talking about it that the, uh, the the ambition for France was to get to the semi-finals at which point Deschamps could decide a future and Deschamps evidently has now gone beyond the semi-finals and, and clearly wants to stay He's kind of a, he's a curious character, isn't he, Deschamps? Like he's got, you know, he's won the World Cup as a captain and as a coach, and now he could become the first coach to defend it. Um, well, actually, is he the first coach ever to defend it? Did Brazil have the same coach um, 
back uh, 60 years ago I genuinely don't know that but he's, he, he's slightly they did, unloved, yeah, Brazil, he? Colin, Colin they, they did yeah they did thanks very much Colin um, so, but Deschamps was quite slightly unloved but what he's done with the French team with this tournament has been fantastic you know he's taken he's been faced with a major issue in that Kante and Pogba are injured and he's addressed it by retooling his French uh, his forward line Mbappe has gone from the right to the left uh, creation as we've um, as we've talked about has been created as a deep lying midfielder created with uh, starting French attacks and stopping opposition counter attacks and Giroud Giroud was the ultimate facilitator up front four years ago didn't even have a shot on target for the full tournament and now he's been tasked with scoring goals and he's uh, he's risen to the occasion uh, pretty much every night other than other than last night so Deschamps des- deserves a lot of credit I think for the balance he's struck in that forward line notably a balance I have to say struck in the absence of Karim Benzema um, I saw a great stat on the Grinch, great of the Get French Football News Twitter last night that uh, Deschamps has been in charge for five tournaments now he's made the final of three of them and the two which he hasn't have been the two tournaments in which he's had Benzema on the team or at least available to him in the squad and there's a curious little subplot uh, stirring ahead of the final is that Apparently, Benzema has been given dispensation by someone, I'm not quite sure whom, uh, to, re- to link up with the squad and sit on the bench at the final on Sunday. And Deschamps was asked about this in the press conference and curiously just said, I would prefer not to answer that question. I'm sorry. And the matter was left at that, which would make me think that Deschamps isn't mad about this idea of Benzema coming back almost to just kind of earn a consolation World Cup medal. Um, so you have to see how that plays out. Yeah. What's going on? Is it Mbappe saying, here, listen, he's my mate? I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know where these reports have come from, you know. Maybe they're coming from... Well, Marco reported, reported yesterday that he would have been fit for the round of last 16 or at least the quarterfinals if he'd stayed with the squad. The implication being that they, for whatever reason, decided they didn't need him around and they were going to go with what they had. As in, they could have kept him in the squad, but they didn't. And now all of yeah. a sudden it's like, oh, that story comes out... 24 hours later, the bit he's rejoining the squad. Is he, is he going to be eligible to play? Is there a possibility that he takes a penalty? Like, uh, well, he, he would, I mean, he would be eligible to play because he's still named in the squad. I mean, the squad sheets that are sent. Don't change. He sent, sent round, uh, to us before the game. He's listed on them, but he's right. listed as absent or absent or injured. So I would assume that there's no issue with him uh, coming back there. It's not like, you know, he's been replaced by Colin Healy and all, and all hope is lost. Um, but th- it's an interesting thing. Like, I mean, if it was initially reported market, I mean, that would be the Spanish press. So, I mean, they, they do have a history of, of, the, of these kinds of stories that may be sympathetic to the, to the, to the important players based in Madrid, um, playing and, international football elsewhere. And well connected. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it would be interesting. I mean, Benzema would clearly want to come back. I mean, I would take it by the tenor of Deschamps' answer last night that he is not too keen on it. And why would he? Like, I mean, he's got a he's got a great balance um, with that front with that forward line. I don't think you necessarily have to play Benzema if he comes back for the final. I really don't think you do. But maybe he feels like that that might upset some of the some of the happy balance that he's managed yeah. to strike in this World Cup, and that's been crucial to. Uh, to their progress to the final, so very, very interesting subplot to go into uh, to go into the final. I have to say, um, you'd imagine that Deschamps has uh, the authority. Deschamps clearly doesn't want him there. I mean, if he did, he would be there. You'd imagine that Deschamps surely has the authority um, not to have Benzema on the bench. But it's just another, it's another little thing for him to deal with. And in fairness, Argentina won't have any of these issues. Uh, Manuel Macron is is urging the French Football Federation to give Didier Deschamps a new contract. This is a story from uh, yesterday. 
Um, this is this is this is the Emmanuel Macron who recently told us that there should be no mixing between football and politics, isn't it? Our compatriots need simple and pure joy. Sport provides it, and <laughs> football in particular. He told reporters after watching the game against Morocco last night. I am much better now than an hour and a half ago. We have sometimes suffered, but we have seen a very great team. I mean, uh, the France-Morocco relationship and the subplot to that was very, very interesting. Um, talking to somebody about it, uh, the French at least have um, an existential crisis about their responsibility for the atrocities that they committed around the world. This is not the same situation as other colonial powers, but still, it's uh, you know it was the colonial oppressor versus a former colony and like a very recent former colony, like. Mm. Uh, this isn't the ancient this isn't 800 years of oppression this is 80 years it's like right okay people still very much alive um, so unfortunately Morocco didn't beat them because that would have been interesting but at least we get the, the best football um, so a huge thank you to our coach Didier Deschamps and to his team which is in fact a mixture of several generations and that's what is great uh, and then he keeps going on Deschamps three finals and he wins them never two without three I mean this guy doesn't watch a lot of sport obviously that's not really how it works but uh, there you go yeah, yeah, there was... Um, Sorry, the last bit is a good bit. We bring back the cup, and obviously Deschamps must stay. This French team makes me very proud. So, you know, the emperor has decreed he gets a new deal. <laughs> well, there, that's the... Uh, that, that's it, that's it, sort of. Deschamps will be coming with Fran- um, to Dublin with France in March. Uh, yeah, there were, just on your earlier point, there were a, couple, there were a few boos of Lamar Saez in the, in the stadium last night, but nothing too intense from the... Uh, from a stand that was from a ground that was about ninety seven percent Moroccan fans, like the atmosphere that they generated throughout the tournament was outstanding. But I have to say the um, the Moroccan players and squad didn't really stir that up at all throughout the tournament. Like the coach Regragui afterwards, who was born in France, said he will be he will be supporting France in the final. That's fair enough. Gav, good stuff. Thanks a million. Lovely. Thanks a million, guys. Great to chat to you. Enjoy the last week. It's uh, Gavin Cooney there in Qatar this morning, day twenty seven. How are you feeling, Shane? Feeling good, yeah, yeah, feeling good. Um, he's whetted my appetite for this final. I, I, I was kind of on board the the Morocco train, but I I now understand why you wanted a France Argentina decider. That's it's the final we wanted. Well, I would have taken Brazil, yeah, but of course. I mean, I probably Super wouldn't. I, I definitely I, I wanted Argentina to be Brazil and then be France. That was that's like the best footballing outcome, whatever about your you know. Uh, from a pure football perspective, the thing that's going to inspire future generations is like watching Leo Messi. Yeah, I do, and I do want to see Argentina do it now. I've kind of got off the the France gravy train. Well, Mbappe's got his World Cup. He'll yeah, be exactly. grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so does Deschamps. So let's. But that's not how it works out either. Unfortunately, like yeah, I think France, France are very strong favourites in my mind at the moment. It's going to take a bit of a miracle for really. They're just they're just better. I just think that they have they have all the bits that the teams that have created chances against Argentina but not been good enough to, to beat them have and they're stronger physically they've, they've been through this before they're not going to wilt at any point yeah. they don't care that Leo Messi is going to have a moment magically yeah, ground. we've got like four more that's come I do feel like Argentina have got better each game though it's kind of like it's it's coming up to a big performance potentially in the finals I hope you're right I hope you're right we'll right. see Sunday uh, 8.28 this morning here on OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today still to come this hour we're going to hear from Malachi O'Rourke we're going to talk with George Noble about the dart at 10 past 9 and then some Michael Verney goodness coming your way at half 9 this morning now Braeburn Coffee is obviously the official coffee partner of OTB the festive season is officially here so why not enjoy a shot of gingerbread goodness in your Braeburn Coffee today it's available at Apple Green locations nationwide during the ad break you're going to hear part of a recent interview that Ashling did with former Kilkenny hurler Taggy Fogarty 
talking about how he found life after retirement. It's all in association with Brayburn Coffee. Up next, we'll be travelling around the world with Shane as we hear about some of the quirkier sports stories from the week. OTB AM It's that time of the week again, Jeff. Folks can uh, listen to the sultry tones this morning. Oh, sexy. Yeah, it kind of works over the music a little bit. Uh, so this is the segment where... We go around the world. We find out some stories that we might have missed during the week from all over this beautiful globe of ours. We might start in Kenya this morning, Joe. David Rudisha, the former Olympic 800 metre champion, uh, he's had a busy week. So he survived a plane crash in Kenya. Look at this photo. So that's him standing beside the, uh, the wreckage. plane had engine trouble. Uh, the pilot tried to land it on a strip, hit a tree, which is why the plane is upside down on its roof himself and five others on board they had attended the annual Maasai Olympics competition at a wildlife sanctuary so he was very lucky I love his cape yeah I mean it it does kind of it does kind of work so it was a very very close call for the former Olympic champion Uh, he said it's a scary episode where you hold your heart in your hand as you pray to God he was also the 2011 and 2015 world champion of course David Rodisha Um, but he has had these moments before. So we have a photo of 2019. A car accident David Rodisha was in. Whoa. Look at the state of that SUV. Um, so this was an accident he was in in August 2019. He was unharmed. His SUV collided with a bus on a highway near Koroka in his native Kenya. So, um, yeah. He hasn't raced since the summer of 2017. But David Rodisha must be counting his lucky stars. I mean, that's, Twice. Um, that's amazing. It's pretty, pretty scary. The Cape is also amazing. Uh, the Cape was probably the best part. It's, it's why I included the story. So that's where we wanted to go first, Kenya. The second place we wanted to go is Qatar. Back to Qatar. So the English players, they might be gone home from the World Cup, but they've brought a little furry friend with them, Dave the Cat. So um, Kyle Walker and John Stones, you see them there in the photograph. I noticed this cat was kind of hanging around the team, hanging around the group, especially around these two, um, a number of times back at their team hotel in Qatar. And um, they kept posting him up every time they would meet up, especially the two of them for coffee or whatever. This uh, this uh, this cat would pop out. J- John Stone said, first day we got there, Dave pops out. Every night he sat there waiting for his food. Um, Dave was involved in a fight with a rival cat. Oh, did he win? He won. So Kyle Walker um, spoke about this. It was the the day before the France defeat for England. Mm. And, at, least, uh, at least one of them is a winner, eh? Exactly, yeah. And he said, Dave's fine. Thanks for for asking. So I mean, that they kind of. Uh, they made up the name Dave. They don't know what his name was before, but the word is now that Dave the cat is coming home with them. We've got a video of uh, of Dave the cat as well. As the press get a photo of the little meowing English mascot. The They're still undecided as who's having him, but he's going back. I mean, is this not a bit like going and you know stealing something? I mean, like is this? Is that, are you allowed to just take stuff? You you go to another country and you discover you're like ah. Oh, I'm just going to take this because, you know, nobody else wants it. I'm sure they got permission from the hotel. They were These like, marbles, this baby, this cat. It's just like, it's just a little bit colonial, isn't it? We were speaking about colonialism earlier. Like, the English do like taking things that aren't theirs. But yeah. Either that or the cat won the lottery. I can't, I can't decide. True. You know? yeah, but, yeah. I mean, the cat hasn't a clue what they're saying either because they're not speaking in Arabic. Not a notion. I think he has to do three or four months of quarantine uh, like, when he gets to the UK. I'm going to follow this story. They better bring him home now that they promised it. Yeah. So Imagine they'd be like, yeah, stick him in quarantine. What? What cat? It might not be coming home, but um, certainly that cat is coming home to England. Um, and look, he's going to have a good life living with a professional footballer. Although I feel like in four months they're going to kind of go off him and be like, ah, I don't really care about him anymore. 
was a good it was a good tweet. It was a good Instagram post every once uh, every now and again during the World Cup. But although those two do seem like good fellas, they do yeah. To be fair, two of the sounder lads on the team. Uh, we'll head to China next year. Chinese superstar snooker stars suspended. Wanted to continue on the cat, did you? No, I just uh, uh, Colin was wrong about his um, manager retaining, according to Fergus Kill in the in the comments. Fair, Colin went out on a limb. Just, um, made, just making shit up here. Yeah, to be fair, but um, Chinese players have caused some serious controversy. You see Yang Ming Chao in the photograph. There we have. He's one of the rising stars of snooker. He's a Masters champion as well, a Masters champion. Uh, he won it last year. He's only 22. Uh, he's been banned from attending or competing in events, snooker events with immediate effect, the World Snooker Tour said uh, on Monday. This is an ongoing investigation into allegations of manipulating matches. So uh, it's kind of strange. I've seen some of the videos of uh, games where allegedly this match fixing was due to have occurred, and uh, it is a bit suspect. So snooker players are capable, because they're so skillful, of missing shots by such a narrow margin. So um, the players involved, five Chinese players on Friday, Lu Ning, Li Hang, Zhao Zhangbo, Bai Lang Ning and Chang Bing Yu, suspended and then Liang Wenbo also so it's look it's one of the most popular sports in China it's not one of the most well paid sports for players that aren't in the top 16 so the temptation was clearly there for some players to um, to cash in and rig matches and, and sometimes it was a case of if you're way better than an opponent throwing away one frame so winning 4-1 as opposed to 4-0 and large sums of money being placed on these matches so it's a bit of a stain on snooker a um, bit of an embarrassment for the sport as well so um, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. Th- these stories are going to come out even further across the next week or two, I'd imagine. We'll go to Australia next. Because uh, Ireland, we heard this week, Vera Powell's team uh, announcing Brisbane as their base for the 2023 World Cup next summer. But the hotel, lads, I mean, unbelievable five-star hotel. So it's Goodwin Park will be used as their training facility. They're going to stay at this nearby five-star Emporium Hotel. Look at that. Brisbane's South Bank District. You've got a rooftop pool with the skyline of Brisbane in the background. You've got a um, vast view of the city. You've got Maserati trips as well. You can take uh, trips around the city in Maseratis. I don't know if the Irish team will be uh, taking up that offer. And helicopter experiences from the rooftop, which is quite remarkable. Um, there's there's a, a lovely stock photograph of what could be Katie McCabe and her teammates stepping on and off a hotel in Brisbane at some point next summer. They got Stephen Donnelly to post the pictures of Yeah, exactly. So hopefully, uh, but it's one of these hotels, um, a minimum of €845 Euro for two people. What? It's pretty expensive. A night? Yeah, it's a pretty Jesus. expensive hotel. Now, right. there's a lower end of 224 per night of some some basic rooms. Right. But it's a five-star hotel. It's quite an incredible place. Well, actually, look, it's the World Cup. It is, exactly. It's around the world, so I don't know if this counts as a place in the world, but uh, no, it doesn't really. We're going to head to the moon next, and finally, Jer. 50 years since humans last walked on the moon, and it's probably perhaps no surprise that I'm going to get some space onto this episode at some point. Around this time, 50 years ago, December 15th, 1972, two astronauts, Gene Cernan and Harrison Schmidt, were lifting off from the moon's surface, the last time humans have been on the surface of the moon. How are you working, how are you working the moon into this? Go on. I'll tell you why. Because... These two astronauts, Cernan and Schmidt, who I've managed to meet and interview. Oh, did you meet them? Oh, I never, never knew that, Shane. Well, you never mentioned that. Oh, look. Oh, you look so young. I do look young. That was 2013, myself and Gene Cernan, whose handwriting I have tattooed on my ribs. Fun fact. Um, they set the lunar land speed record. So that's technically sport, isn't it? This is basically, you've just somehow managed to take over the show. Yeah, worm it in. Snooker, space, 
fantastic. Darts. Yeah, exactly. And Malachi O'Rourke on space of an hour. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, 18 kilometres per hour. And to think he nearly went home. To think he nearly went home this morning. Uh, that would have been a, a sad, sad uh, story of events. Uh, there was also the, the the first ever Lunar Olympics chair, which Alan Shepard and Edgar Mitchell and Apollo 14 partook in. So uh, Shepard famously hits a golf ball on the surface of the moon. Right. Mitchell throws a javelin and uh, throws it three inches further, wins the first Lunar Olympics. Oh, I didn't realise the, the javelin thing. There you go, yeah. Right. So... I don't it's, funny how, it's funny how golf stole big golf stole the the moon landing, whereas all big javelin needed to do was to remind everybody this happened, and then javelin would be the sport that we all do, it, like into later life. Exactly. Uh, the, the final the final story that I uh, hadn't mentioned very briefly was um, there was a guy who was very worried. We're, we're heading to Buenos Aires. Finally, he was concerned he was going to miss the start of Argentina Croatia, and uh, he hijacked a bus full of passengers in San Miguel in Buenos Aires drove it four kilometres in order to speed up his journey home he was afraid he was going to miss the match so I mean the things you do for football and, and not a judge in the land if they win not a judge in the land will convict him exactly worth it so that's this week's around the world <laughs> I do love it come on Shane Carl Mulaney's here Carl good morning to you how Hello, are you lads. how's it going what is going on not very well you've got George Noble on the show Great yeah, voice. Bit of darts. Fantastic voice. He's a better voice than me, let me tell you today. Yeah. I wonder what darts referees do when they lose their voice. Because it's pretty important to the, yeah. to the job. What does the darts referee do? You're going to have to... Works out the scores. Has to be really good at maths, don't, don't they? Very good at maths. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, scream 180. Yeah. Do the intros, don't is they? There, is there much shithousery? Sometimes. And how does, uh, what does the referee do? Is he, oh, get out of it. Yeah, sometimes you, sometimes um, they intervene, you know, when like there's aircon on the stage mm. and the players complain about that. I remember there's been a few matches where the players have had to walk off so they can, because the aircon interferes with the throw. Oh, yeah. The, the slight change in it. Yeah, the direction. See, Jerry, uh, there's a lot to this sport. I'm just, I'm curious now, you know. Well, we've got it now till the 3rd of January from tonight, so. Unbelievable. Three Irish players tonight on the stage, I think. Um, that's always a great watch, isn't it? Class. It's uh, it's great for Christmas time, and it's kind of synonymous with Christmas now at this stage. Uh, it'll fill that World Cup void nicely, and lead into Christmas and over Christmas. But then you've got the Premier League back as well. Um, so George Noble, yeah, great voice. Good to have him on. And then you've got Malachi Rourke as well. Ah, uh, one of the best five referees. Fantastic show. Kelly uh, Football Managers of all time. Fact. It wasn't quite as controversial as the uh, Talton. No, though team. you didn't get much pushback on it. No, I think people agreed. I mean, it's hard to disagree when you look at his record. I absolutely love the man. Has that been made clear? I think so. Yeah. Does he know? He well, he's about to find out. <laughs> tell him, yeah. yeah we, we should talk, stop talking like this because he won't come on. True, yeah. <laughs> like that creep. Uh, Andrew Martin on WhatsApp says, Poor Shane is an awful sore throat. Great idea for a segment, though, I have to say. Well, is, that, is that Andy all the way from America? It's like two o'clock in the morning. Ah, good See, man. Two o'clock in the morning, everything sounds good. True, yeah. Uh, Rory Larmer says Romania beat Argentina in the last 16 in 94 Sweden beat Romania in the uh, quarter final that's why Sweden were in the semis and then Sweden hammered Bulgaria 4-0 in the third place playoff um, and who did win the golden boots in 94 um, uh, maybe someone could look that up while I uh, out column for just giving wrong information to everybody um, the manager Fergus Kio says Vicente Fiola was Brazil's coach in 58 and Aimore Moreira in 62 so Deschamps will be the first coach to retain the World Cup Ooh. fake news a little bit earlier on when we said it wouldn't be Stoichkov won it outright um, Stoichkov and Russia's Oleg Solenko Solenko scored all five in one game both scored six yeah oh there you go there you go 
Um, not so bad. he was trying to win it outright and yep. didn't get it. Ah, sharing a World Cup Golden Boot's not bad, is it? No, but he definitely would have had Stoichkov ahead of Selenko in the global pecking order and just to win it on your own. I was like, yeah, I was, you know. That's the same for Mbappe and Messi. I think secretly they both want to win it, do you know? So, oh, yeah. One goal can do it this weekend, both on five. Yeah. Giroud and Julian Alvarez on four. It's important, these individual honours. I just wonder where Ronaldo's going to be watching the match. Is he going to be watching on Sunday? Ah, you've got to watch the World Cup final, don't you? Well, he's in Madrid training, so he's going to be watching it in Madrid. Will he watch it, though? Yes, absolutely, because he wants to make sure that um, somehow he can use it as inspiration for whatever dastardly plots he has. Like, is there a possibility Madrid go, yeah, we'll take it on the bench, no problems. We can afford you. It's like, we'll sell us more shirts. You know? Is there a possibility? No. Nah. We're not about sub to have 15 minutes. <sighs> He's going to watch Bally Gunner against Bally Hale, probably, is he? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You prefer to watch that? Yeah. It's half an hour later, isn't it? Half three? Yeah, there you go. I'm sure he'll be tuning in. Yeah. wonder how he's... It must be tough to watch like his for him like I mean just not to be involved and then the loading that Messi will has got and will get if they win it on Sunday mm. must really irk him really irk him arch yeah. nemesis yeah um, I don't know we're on about this on, on News Talk Breakfast as well do you believe in destiny in sport does, it, does that count no Agree. <laughs> no, I would agree. This team of destiny, it's like a, well, a really good team who nearly made it loads of times eventually gets over the line. That's what people mean when they talk about a team of destiny. Oh, man, this is their year. They're destined to win it. Yeah, because they have like some all-time great footballers in their team if they do get over the line. But like they've been a team of destiny a lot, and then you know, unfortunately, uh, they come up against the greatest Gaelic football team we've ever seen. I don't know. Do you, does anybody believe in team of destiny? I think people who believe in destiny believe in astrology. Both a load of shite. <laughs> there you go. Basically. No offence to anyone who reads the horoscopes, but I mean, come on. Let's leave it out. <laughs> Your life isn't going to change based on where the moon is, and I'm a big space geek, but I'm more into my astronomy, as, as opposed to astrology, because astronomy actually matters. Well, I mean, uh, every, everybody thinks they've got the prettiest wife at home, Shane. Isn't well, that what um, Arsene Wenger said about uh, Alex Ferguson? It's true. So I saw some football journalists pointing out that all football writers seem to have all of a sudden become astronomers where they're like it's written in the stars for Messi to win nothing's written in any stars like have a look up the stars tonight they haven't changed Mercury's no longer retrograde I, I believe well there you go yeah if you're a Virgo you're apparently going to have a sore throat this morning because I'm a Virgo so there you go written in the stars yeah um, speaking of uh, good football managers there's a good piece in the examiner this morning about Paddy O'Shea yeah uh, 10 years on from his passing so Reflections on his life and contribution to Gaelic Games. Um, hard to believe it's 10 years, first of all. It was kind of one of those moments where you kind of remember where you were mm. when you heard the news. Uh, I remember I was coming out of a maths grind. I was doing my leave insert that year. I think it was a Saturday morning. And uh, the news had broken at that stage that he had uh, passed away. But um, it's interesting that they're on about his home place in Kerry and it just doesn't feel the same uh, since he's, he's passed away and obviously his pub and everything like that. But his contribution to Kerry football over the years is just astronomical really um, what a great character and the, the memories that he's left and then and people have said this as well that he obviously achieved a lot as Kerry manager but to win that Leinster title with Westmeath that's probably his greatest achievement is it? you could, you could argue it is you could argue it is um, and just the, the impact that he had um, psychologically and obviously physically as well with those players and Tomaso Florida as well as his um, coach with Westmeath that was a really historic achievement, a really historic achievement. And then I saw some old pictures circulating of Westmead against uh, 
against Leash, managed by Mick O'Dwyer at the time. And obviously the news this week of Ross Munley uh, retiring from the game as well. So lots of different crossovers there. Remember when I was, um, I must have been seven or eight, Dad took us down to, to Ventry and went into the pub and Dad was like, oh, Polly O'Shea might be in here. And uh, we were walking around for a while, looking around the pub and no sign of him. Next thing, Polly walks out and it's like, I was only a kid, but I knew the aura this man had. Got a f- autograph, photograph. I think a lot of people did that, just pop into the pub, see if Polly's there, get the photograph and leave. But he, he certainly had a mystique about him. There was something about Polly O'Shea, obviously taken far too soon. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years. Mm. It's insane. Mm. He did a show on Newstalk on Sunday mornings for, it was an hour long, conversations with Polly, and um, we got to know him a little bit over that time. We went down a couple of times to do the show from the pub for uh, the Comortus, which is the tournament that basically, like, uh, somebody described it as uh, being as busy as coppers on a lot final night. It was unbelievable. Uh, if uh, You should all go to the, I don't know, your club could go, could you? I think clubs can go, yeah. Um, is you that the one that's on in February? Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. there's nothing else. Like, yeah. um, like Dingle and uh, Ventry are, are tourist wastelands at that stage. And so it's empty and it's bleak. And all of a sudden there's this massive injection into the local economy. And it was all because Paulie had the idea. And uh, first off, it started with just the men. And then, I, I can't remember the exact... One day, like he just had kind of had this brainwave. It was like, what are we doing? Get the women down. So like very early on, it was uh, male and female. And obviously that suddenly made um, everybody was interested in going down for the whole weekend and uh, staying as long as possible. And um, some teams take it really seriously. I remember the year that we were down there. I'm fairly sure Nathena were there. And they were they were doing the... Uh, after the match getting into the, the freezing seawater to do the ice bath style thing and it was like wow these lads are taking it seriously and um, Tomas and Mark and Dara were not just laughing at them going because you know, <laughs> yeah. at that stage uh, this is this is before the Dubs revolution had happened and the lads were picking up their third, fourth and fifth All-Ireland medals um, but if you get the chance to go to that like uh, his, his legacy obviously endures in Westmead and in Kerry football and in teams of the millennium as an incredible footballer um, and he also I don't know if everybody knows this but he started the Boar's Head tradition mm. so it's because of him that everybody goes to the Boar's Head and I've talked to Hugh a good bit about it and we tried to get something going in um, for the, the anniversary but we just couldn't get it together and uh, he's the one who would bring everybody in on the Monday morning and that has just become a massive GA tradition too so like I know it's a small thing, but like everybody knows about that now, and all the other winning teams go there. They go there because Paddy, and um, it, it's uh, uh, I don't know. There's just like the, the tentacles of of his life have gone so deep into Irish culture beyond like um, multiple strands to his legacy. I'm fairly sure Paddy did like analysis on TG Carr for Charlie Hawley's funeral. Like he was he was the co-com when the state funeral was happening it was covered live I'm fairly sure about that I could be wrong but you know it's one of those stories that like I totally believe mm. um, and uh, there's all sorts of stories about uh, his, his relationship with Charlie obviously and I'd say did he end up as a senator at one stage or was there was there he was on that path anyway um, so yeah and I think doesn't he get the sitting T-shirt or the, they still get the sitting T-shirt at the time to launch that tournament oh every, every time year. Yeah. everybody yeah. should have their and even when it was it was no longer Fianna Fáil yeah. and the Kenny was like oh, of course I will yeah, yeah. it's the yeah. party tournaments yeah, yeah. We, were, we were at loads of those and um, uh, yeah it was uh, it was always incredible to be in his company and you know uh, we, we hope that um, that the memory is 
comforting to everybody uh, from the wider family and um, you know that this time of year isn't too difficult that actually they do get to celebrate them the other last thing and if the award winning documentary I was on the judging panel that year and it was such a beautiful piece of film I don't know if you've all seen the Pauly documentary on TG Carr but like mm. you know they managed to get this footage and just weave it in and paint this picture of, of what it was because I like you know there's a great book there's a great book to be written about Pauly O'Shea's life um, like we all project onto him what we think uh about Gaelic football and Irish life and um, I, because he's such a titanic character you know uh, and there's very few of those around there really are like we think that there's loads of them in sport but it turns out there, there aren't not with his um, sheer force of dynamism and outspokenness and charm and roguishness and, and all the, the difficulties as well so Yeah and you mentioned charm I think Emma Fitzmaurice has that in his piece in the Examiner this week about the man management of Paddy O'Shea, uh, as well as this obviously encyclopedic football knowledge, but the man management and the, the ability to get into players' heads and get the best out of them was was one of his best traits yeah. as a football manager. And obviously that extended to Westmead then when he went there, and after their years of failing to break through, they managed to do it. Uh, two quick stories from our producers today. Vittorio Pozzo retained the World Cup with Italy in 1938 as manager. He's not the only manager to do so. I was incorrect about Brazil, but Deschamps will not be the first one to do it, says Colm. A little bit uh, splitting hairs and, you know. Uh, okay, so he won't be the first one to do it. You were, you were incorrectly correct, Colm. And then Kathleen says, Paulie was leaning up against my dad's car down in Kerry, and my dad went to ask him to move, and Paulie took me out of his arms two she was two at the time and posed for a picture thinking that's what her dad wanted but he just wanted his car back because he's a down football fan it's like, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Uh, but they still have the picture obviously so I think maybe your dad actually did want the picture Kathleen but was like here I'm going to fake this here you and you get the photograph you know the way it's like oh my, my son wants a photograph with you Mr. Keane and then <laughs> there was the wasn't there the famous um, speech in that documentary as well the Westmead speech the grain of rice grain of rice speech yeah, yeah. brilliant yeah, I mean, his voice was just intoxicating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, right, 8.52, Carl, anything else going on? Um, the golfers this morning, John Murphy and Tom McKibben, both finished at two under par at the Mauritius Open. That leaves them uh, four shots off the lead at the moment. Gary Hurley is a level par. And uh, the Irish players in action uh, at the darts tonight. We've got Mickey Mansell against Ben Robb. Meads Keane Barry plays Grant Sampson. And Nathan Rafferty is up against Jermaine Watimena. And uh, that's uh, the PDC World Darts Championship which starts tonight. I think we have uh, Maliki Rock on the line, the... Uh Ulster club winning now manager with Glenn morning Malachi how are things? morning Shane how are you? how are you getting on? It's, uh, I'm sure it's been a busy week probably have your players sound like I do with the, the voice in absolute bits it's uh, not a bad achievement ah yeah no it was, it was great you know a great achievement and um, I suppose the whole thing has happened so quick as well you know when the, the, the club won the first Derry Championship ever in their history last year so there was great emotion with that. And then I suppose this year to follow it up. And then so suddenly then to, to win Ulster as well. It, it, uh, I suppose it's just a bit of a roller coaster at the minute. And uh, it's something that, uh, you know, haven't been used to for a wee while. And uh, so now it's, it's been brilliant. And to see, I suppose, to see the joy on everybody's faces and how much it does for the community and, and, and that sort of thing. Is, that's, that's what it's all about. I think the, um, wasn't it 2004 yourself with the loop up in Derry winning the Ulster Club and hard to believe you went on then in the semi-final again to play Galway opposition in Caltra. It's kind of coming back around again. It's almost like the, the, the stars have aligned uh, playing, playing Moy Cullen in the, in the semi-finals. So it's, uh, it's all a bit bizarre, I'm sure, for you. 
Yeah, yeah, it, and does it look at it, it? It it seems a long time ago, and yet it seems like yesterday as well. And yes, it's, it's strange the way it, it turned out, you know. And, and that time, obviously, Calter got the better of us. And um, look at we're we're under no illusions this time as well. And that Mike Cullner are seriously strong outfit, and the, you know they've they had a lot of representatives on the the Gala panel. And uh, but look at I suppose every team's in the exactly the same boat. It, it, it's a, a great opportunity to, to try and get through to an All Ireland final, and and everybody will be in the same frame of mind. And uh, I suppose we're no different. You, um, I said this on the show the other day, Malachi. You, you, you won't have seen this, but um, I was I was I was going on about how you, everything you you seem to touch uh, turns to gold. No matter what team you, you show up with, whether they've uh, won a county title before or not, won a provincial title before or not, there's just something in that. You, you seem to you seem to strike gold everywhere you go. Yeah, yeah, I, I did hear that, Shane. To be honest with you, and uh, I was I was uh, thinking the, the morning man won't let you down. <laughs> <laughs> you can send me the twenty. And, uh, and, then, and then I started to think, do I owe him money or something? <laughs> but no. Um, no, look at the, it's just you know it's, it's it's a matter of you know everywhere I've gone I've been very lucky in many ways and that you know I've, I've I've inherited teams who are very hungry to achieve success um you know everybody rode in behind it everybody got invested in it and again very lucky that that um, everybody involved in the whole setup you know was a, of the same uh, <clears throat> frame of mind and and have have no work really hard and look at us it's no different in 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 um, Glen at the minute you know right from the the day we went in the the club have have been so so progressive so ambitious um you know anything we've asked they've, they've been more than happy to help us out with you know and and again you know obviously Ryan Porter's with me again and Ryan's a, a massive help um and and uh, you know a massive uh, person to have on the, on the backroom team with his, with his knowledge of of coaching with his knowledge of of training and everything else and with Johnny Bradley Mickey McCullough there as well so it's very much a a, a combined a collective effort you know and um, once you get that going in any club or any team you all has got a really good chance, and but most of all, obviously, it's it's the players who've who've bought in completely, and and uh, you know they've they've done the business when it's been asked of them. What do you do to try and get people on side early on? What's the first thing that you do when you go in somewhere? I mean, obviously, you know, you need to know and get to know the players, but what's the first thing that you ask of them that gets them thinking? Yeah, actually, you know what, um, we're we're at it here, and and I'm going to commit the way I need to commit. Um, I suppose that you want to try and, and uh, give them some sort of a vision that that, that they can achieve if, if they do everything that you're asking of them. You know, so you want to paint some sort of a picture that that they feel that 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 is worth uh, committing themselves to and, and, and committing a lot of their lives to training and everything else. You know, and and I suppose then after that, it's, it's, it's just a matter of of. Um, Improving every aspect of, of of preparation, of play, of 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 training, and everything else, you know. And uh, and again, I suppose it's that togetherness more than anything. You know, it's 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 you know, no team is going to win anything. You know, if 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 people aren't playing as a team and aren't committing to each other and all that. So it's just it's just I suppose that's that's the main thing. It's 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 just getting that togetherness and and uh, and again, it has to be enjoyable as well. The, you know, the boys, if they're going to spend that much time in each other's company, the they certainly want to be enjoying it. They want to enjoy the environment. So it's, I don't think it's, it's, it's I suppose there's no silver bullet. It's, it's a matter of a lot of different percentages. And uh, 
And then as the thing goes on, I suppose you, you as you overcome more hurdles, you can you can um, reinforce those areas. And uh, so you know, I, as I say, I don't think there's one thing, but uh, you know, it, it just builds momentum as time goes on. Shane was telling me before he uh, before we came on, we was doing research. Um, you're talking there about the soft skills of like making sure that uh, the the company is good and that, that the people are striving to be the best they can be. But the the harder skills of like the drills and the sports. You were saying, Shane, um, 1989, the sports science goes back to... Yeah, your, your, your thesis into Mary's Malachy. Yeah, that's right. I was actually very lucky in that. And that, um, um, you know, just Jim McKeever was the, the lecturer at the time, the, the legendary Jim McKeever. And um, he, he, you know, lucky enough, he he asked me to get involved in this particular one. And it was looking at the uh, the VO2 max capability of, of players. And we did a lot of fitness testing. And, and Craig Mahoney, who who was a, a sports psychologist and I suppose a performance analyst, an Australian guy who was involved with Derry think certainly around that time and when the won all Ireland he was there um, he, he he got me involved in that and I certainly found out a lot of information that 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 I wouldn't have been privy to that I would, it wouldn't have, have found out only that I got involved in that and, and to be honest I was ignorant of a lot of it and, and uh, but it was, I, was, I was just blessed to be you know to, to, to be able to tap into Craig's knowledge and everybody else and, and uh, there was a lot of county players at that time in, on the Sigerson panel and, and they were all involved in, in doing the fitness testing so uh, you know you learn a lot from it and uh, look at it, I'm, I'm not saying that it, it, it it's something that I, I fall back on the time and, and, and I'd first admit that it, it's it's Ryan who 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 takes charge of all that the, the, the condition side of things and he's an expert in that and he's he uh, he knows exactly what's, what's, what's going on in that area so I I, I I really stand and, and, and watch him a lot, you know. But uh, no, it was, at, at that stage, it, it certainly was a very progressive thing to be involved in, and uh, just thankful that, that that I was given that opportunity. When you do, talking then about the uh, enjoyment, if it's backed up with science, I think it, it brings credibility very early. On. Not, not obviously, you have credibility now with the incredible CV you put together. But the other thing that, that's changed is that players' expectations have gone through the roof. Um, I keep talking about this, but in Arthur James O'Dea's book about Limerick. Uh, there's a brilliant chapter on the academy system that they set up and one of their ambitions was that when the kids were coming in to Limerick the quality of coaching was so high that they'd be like wow this is amazing and and, and it turns out that like uh, younger generations expect things to be brilliant they have a much higher um, ceiling on their expectations than, than previous generations who would have been like okay this is just what we're going to do because we always did it now they're like questioning stuff and they've got access to all the best stuff around the world so you have to keep evolving and changing I suspect yeah, that's that's true, and, and and just as you say, I think society has changed, and there's a lot easier access to information and all that. But I think as well, there's probably more more young lads who are going on. You know, up here in in, in Ulster, the, the McCrory Cup is very strong, so you know they're going through that system and the coaching there is at a very high level, and 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 they're being subjected to that. Then they're going on to third level education. And as well, the, the the standards they're they're meeting there is very high. So when they do come back to, to clubs or into into county setups, their their expectations are very high. And I suppose you you have to match that. Um, and uh, you know, I suppose that when you are asking fellas to invest as much time and to be involved, and mm-hmm. you can you can understand that if if they feel that this this is <laughs> a wee bit below standard, and it's not up to the standard. You know, we expect then you know they're not going to do that. 
the other big thing that I have noticed as well is even, you know, even from 10, 15 years ago, when I started getting involved in inter-county football, the level of fitness that boys are coming into already into the club setup, like, you know, is, is unbelievable. Whereas back then you would have had the start, I suppose, doing um, strength work in the gym. Now the boys are coming in, they've already done a lot of that, you know, and, and, and really it's got to the stage where most of those players are coming in know that if they haven't already got that level, they're going to be left behind and, and, and they don't want that to happen. So definitely the, the condition of players is, is much greater and, and, and probably again, it's, it's, it's maybe the way society has changed. There's a lot more of that culture of keeping yourself fit and in good shape and going to the gym and that sort of thing. So probably that all helps as well. It's funny, um, it all kind of comes back to, to player attention as well, Malachi. Like it struck me when you were a Mottenham manager, you know, nobody was leaving the panel for travelling or for, for whatever else. Connor Glass, you know, comes home two years ago, gives up his four-year AFL career. So that's important as well, I guess, to have the players on board. Yeah, it is definitely. And I suppose, like um, every every team, the hardest time to keep fellas on board is is when they're not getting on, when things aren't going well for them personally and that sort of thing. Uh, but no, been very lucky, you know, with Mon and, and, and obviously again with the club. And that uh, I think the, the, the big thing there again, Just having a little bit of trouble with that line. We'll come back to that, though. We'll um, take him off and redial him just to make sure that we can get back to it because it's uh, an opportunity to pick a giant brain and try and learn some stuff ourselves. So it's always great. Yeah, unreal. Like just a, And I know he, he often credits the backroom team and they deserve credit. Ryan Porter and Leo Dropsy McBride as well was in with Monaghan. But like, just the fact that he was doing a thesis on that in 89, that's why I said it to you before the show, is like, that is ahead of the curve, do you know? Seems like well, how many years ago? Like that's r- remarkable that he was thinking that far ahead. But uh, yeah, just a, a remarkable footballing brain. Okay, we've got we've got Malachi Rock back. Hopefully that the line stays still. Uh, Malachi, just to, to go on to, to compare and contrast the difference between uh, club and county. Um, is it different in your head in any way? Like what, what, apart from the demands on your time, like what are the differences? Um, I suppose. Uh, well, I was going to say. The, the the media attention is probably greater at, at, at county level, but although now I suppose with the split season that has changed a wee bit as well. Definitely what I've noticed is that this season with the club season is 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 very long because I know that we started we finished last year on the ninth I think it was the eighteenth of December. Um, and we started again in March, and that was probably the latest we could start because Ryan wanted to make sure that the boys had a, had a, you know a, at least a four to six week run in before they started playing competitive games again in the league. So, and we've gone through now again, and it's it's mid December, and we're still going. So it's it's a really long season, and I, I suppose that brings us challenges again, and and I suppose that's that's where again you know um, being able to to gauge the training again. I'm just going to reference Ryan and that you know and that. Um, it's it's a very hard thing to do if you start in in mid March. It's very easy, you know, that this time of year to have players blunted, to have players who are who are fatigued mentally, physically, whatever you want. So it's a skill that's a, a massive skill as well. You know, having uh, players still fresh, still still uh, rare to go at this time of year. And look at that's obviously a, a talent he's got, and um, it's it's you know that, that's very important. But there's there's no doubt that the season now with with uh, with the club is is actually longer than the, the intercounty season in, in most cases. 
yeah, it does, it, it kind of law of unintended consequences. Um, yeah, maybe needs to be looked at a little bit to to make it a little. And yeah, well, well that and I know I did mention that last week, and, and just with, with the the county players, I know, and I was you know a number of the players with ourselves, and I was just I was just making the the example of Connor Glass, and Connor has been with Derry, you know, started I suppose a couple of years ago. Um, went through a full campaign with Derry, then came into the club, you know, we got a, a week or two break, came, came in with the club, went through right through till, till the, whatever it was, the 18th of December last year, more or less got a, got a short break back into to Derry, went right through again into July. We gave him a couple of weeks break then, at that time came back to the club and now he's gone on to, into December again and, and, and still is going on and then he's obviously going back into Derry. So any of the, any of the players who, who are playing at that level at, at you know, who, who have been successful at county level and club level, it's, re- it, it is really tough on them. And, and, you know, I don't think you can sustain that. So it, again, it's, it's an area that probably does have to be looked at and see in what way you can manage it to, to, to give everybody, a, a, you know, a, a, a suppose a, a sustainable career. And, and, um, you know, obviously that, that balance between, between playing sport at a, at a high level and, and having a life as well. Yeah, totally. And uh, like, it's, it's important that these conversations are had because, uh, Largely, it feels like the split season has been a success in in many different aspects. But if there are areas that it's easy to tweak, we should just continue to tweak them. And sometimes there's a, a reluctance um, when it comes to particularly the fixtures and uh, and the calendar to have conversations about it because a lot of stuff um, people are very territorial over it. Can I just ask you then about your own like your own future? I know obviously you're in the middle of a job at the moment and, and that's not finished. And um, like, do you want to get back into county at some point? Um, look, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I, I don't because, look, to be honest with you, I love the challenge of of uh, being involved with teams at any level, and and you know when, when teams are invested in it and, and are ambitious to, to to work hard and try to achieve things. That that's that's where all the, the enjoyment comes from, you know. But uh, and, and 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 to be honest again, I have to say, I'd be, be really appreciative of anybody coming and asking me to to get involved, you know. So I, I don't take that lightly for a minute. Um, just having said that at the minute I'm I'm more than happy where I am you know the, the, the it's a brilliant club um, the, the boys have committed fully they, they're really enjoying the journey and, and uh, I suppose at this stage all we're focused on as I said before is is, is what is maybe three weeks time usually you know when, before an All-Ireland club semi-final it used to be that you'd maybe six weeks to prepare after Christmas at this stage we probably have three weeks to prepare for it so uh, you know we, we just can't take eyes of that and as far as we're concerned we've, we've won game left in that competition um, so uh, that's all I'm thinking of at the minute you know but to answer your question to start look it's, it's something that I wouldn't rule out because I, I really enjoy being involved at, at, you know with, with teams who uh, say who want to be competitive I suppose invariably your, your name was linked with <clears throat> with different jobs you know me and, and Donegal perhaps when, when, they, when they cropped up Clearly, you were, you were heavily involved with Glenn at the time. So did it get to a conversation stage at any point with with counties, or was it just you're too busy? No, well, look, it didn't didn't go to any major uh, stage, and obviously, I don't, I don't want you know all this. You know, when you talk to, to people like that, you, you do in, in confidence. So, look, at I, I did speak to a couple of people, you know, but but it didn't go any further because I, I was I was I was committed to to Glenn, and I just felt that. I, 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 to me, and at this stage, and 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 seeing where we've we've gone to, it's very hard to do both. And you know, I felt I wouldn't be doing justice to to Glenn, to, to you know, to 
to even say, oh, I'd take a job and we'll, we'll finish out the year anything else. I didn't want to do that. And that has proven the case. You know, it, it is, has allowed you know, us all to, to focus completely on the club and to put all our efforts into that. Mm-hmm. And, and just, you know, to, to see the rewards we got last Sunday, you know, it was brilliant. And uh, so, you know, it, I, th- I think it's, it's uh, you know, you, uh, you'd have to do one or the other. And at the minute, I'm, I'm more than happy doing what I am. I suppose from um, neutral perspectives, you love to see rivalries, especially in the Ulster Club Championship. But um, Conor Glass had a, an interesting chat with her own Ashley O'Reilly after the match, where he's, you know, he's hinting that it wasn't all sunshine and roses on the pitch between uh, yourselves and the, and the Kilku boys. Like clearly, it's there, there's a bit of a, a sting to that rivalry, Malachy. Yeah, well, um, to be honest, I haven't been chatting Conor obviously, you know, since it much, but. Um, um, you know, in, in those games, there is always, you know, there's a lot of intensity, you know, that it, it's, um, this tough going out there and there's a lot of physical battles all around the field, you know, and I suppose that's what, what makes the game in many ways as well. The, the only thing, as Connor referenced, you know, there is there is a case sometimes of, of going over the line and, and you never want to see that happen. I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything. I, I don't, I don't know what happened. But look, and it's 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 uh, uh, you know it's it, it's it's great. It, it was a really competitive game. Kilku have been the standard bearers for 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 everybody this last couple of years. They're all island champions. They weren't going to go down without a fight, you know. And and we always knew it was going to be a tough physical battle, and uh, that's that's the way it proved. Uh, it's a bit like the NFL season, where the at the end of the year you look back at the Super Bowl champions, and it's glorious sunshine and hot. And at the end of the year, it's absolutely freezing cold. Uh, does that have an impact on your style of play and how it has to change depending on what the conditions are like? Or is your game your game and you're going to play it irrespective of what the conditions are? No, I think it does because, you know, the way, just exactly as you're saying, Jer, you know, in, in the middle of summer, you know, we're training and the, and the ball is bouncing and, and, and uh, you know, the speed of movement and, and the way you're playing the game, it, you know, it, you know, is completely different than later on in the year and, and you know we often say that you know that we're hoping to be playing later on in the year and if we are we have to realise that the, you know the conditions are going to be completely different and you have to definitely you have to modify your game to a degree and, and but even simple things like you know the way in, in, in the in the summertime you're receiving the ball and you're taking it out you know putting your two hands out in front of you and, and, and taking the ball and moving on whereas in, in wintertime it's about holding on to possession making sure you get your body behind it every wee mistake is magnified because if the fist pass doesn't go exactly to where you wanted to go there's a good chance that it'll slip out of somebody's hands and that sort of thing uh, even I suppose in, in the in the really colder weather seems to be that the ball doesn't travel as far and things like that there so no there's no doubt you have to you have to change your, your style of play a wee bit and also just just all the skills of the game and, and, and has to have to change a wee bit as well so it definitely it definitely brings a different challenge yeah, it's mad isn't it like you're actually you're playing two totally different games yeah, and that again, that's the that's the thing that you you wonder about as well, you know, and, and certainly because the club football is, you know, it, you know during the summertime, it's 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 when the weather is so good, you know, that's the time you would like to play the games. Whereas, you know, you're you're going then in the in the dead of winter, and and particularly, you know, never mind the cold and and the the rain, but 
when it's when it's a really windy day and it comes to nearly that it's the wind is such a big factor in the game, you're often wondering, look, if this game was played in the middle of, of summer, it could be a completely different outcome and, and different players would be starring and so on. So it it does have a, a massive impact on, on on the way the game has been played and, and, and maybe even on the result of it. But look at this, most just the, the, the club players realize that if if you if you want to have be successful and you want to have a good run there's a good chance you will be playing in the winter and you have to be prepared for that. Yeah. I, I, to go back to that enjoyment piece and tie it all together, the, the game certainly seems over recent years to be less defensive than it was for a period of time um, You know, after Donegal came and uh, and did what they did. But like they weren't the ones who invented that. There was like lots of teams who had been doing it. They just took it. They perfected it. That might be the correct way of, of phrasing that. Um, are you finding that the players are also demanding that the game plan is creative and allows the best players to do it or are they happy enough to go well at certain stages of the tournament especially the one you're in now it's really about winning at this point I think really yeah that that is the way at, at most levels I certainly have never in my experience really had had, had players come and saying look we want to be really expansive here you know we, we want to play a certain style of football you know, you, every team, I suppose, looks at exactly what they have, and then they try to set up accordingly to, to play to your strengths. Um, but uh, and and you know, it's 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 it's, look, it's a it's a wider debate, I suppose. But um, you know, the game last Sunday was it, it finished up a low score and enough game. But anybody certainly anybody who I've I've talked to who was at the game thought it was a really brilliant game. There was so much going on. It was so intense. Uh, there, was, there was so many good skills and good passes to play in it, you know. But and you know, a more expansive game, you know, and, and a different type of game might end up, you know, three twenty to three eighteen. But is that is that going to be more entertaining? So it's it's I suppose it's that it's that question whether you're looking a more entertaining game or are you looking a, a competitive game? And I suppose that's the. Hey, that's that's a that's a, a question for another day, but uh, it's 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 hard to know. It's I suppose it's different people have different views on it. Marky, great stuff. Congratulations on a great season so far, and long may it continue. Thanks very much, Chair. Enjoy the Christmas. Thanks a million. Lovely. Thanks. It's uh, Mark your work there. Really fascinating insights into um, yeah, like any county who doesn't ring Malachi work can say, "Are you oh. interested?" What like what would it be? You're not doing your due diligence properly. Yeah, it's interesting the, the point he makes about the it, club club roles being kind of not anonymous but definitely quieter in the media uh, previously. But because of the split season, there is a pressure on club managers now. Like the likes of Glenn are are so in focus. So um, yeah, in terms of avoiding the limelight, you're not really doing it by staying in club. So uh, he'll be back in county management at some point. Whichever county gets him will be. Lucky to have him. Yeah, there's a few obvious contenders, right? I mean, Jesus, like, as long as he doesn't go to Tyrone. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that's the please, please don't. Yeah, that would make the most sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, Obviously, yeah. you know, the two lads need to decide that they've had enough. But true, he is living in Tyrone, so that's a. Uh another one OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day um, if you want to get in touch we'd love to hear from you 0879 is the WhatsApp number our um, schedule on OTB Sports Radio today you get this on the uh, off the ball app OTB Gold at 1 o'clock is Michael Conlon after his Rio exit uh, leaders questions with Stuart Lancaster at 3 uh, our retro panel is GA meets basketball um, some high end Gaelic footballers who uh, love the game of basketball and the benefits uh, that they 
incurred from playing it. And then Wexford 56 is OTB Gold from 6 tonight. That's the hurlers from 1956. You can follow off the ball across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for the best in the latest sports content. Up after the ad break, we've darts referee George Noble. All right, it's approaching 20 past nine on this uh, Thursday morning's OTBAM, and it's uh, it's day one of the PDC World Darts Championship. That means it's Christmas, finally. Delighted to say the uh, professional darts referee, George Noble, joins us on the line this morning. Morning, George. Good morning, gents. How are you? Keeping well, keeping well. This is Christmas Day for you, surely. Oh, it's, uh, well, it's, I guess it is like Christmas Day starting, uh, kicks, off, kicks off today, one o'clock on for the next 17 days, so long Christmas. I was just thinking there, I have a bit of a sore sore voice this morning. I was wondering, in your line of work, that must be quite difficult, given how important your voice is. Uh, yeah, but I guess, I guess there's four of us that do it, so we don't do every match. So uh, as long as you don't burn the candle both ends too late of a night, you're not too bad. How do you get involved in darts refereeing in the first place, George? Like, I'm sure, is, it, is it a case of down the pub with your mates and, and the opportunity just comes up, or how, how do you get started? Well, I was actually at a darts tournament one day and the ref, uh, like a local tournament, the ref didn't turn up to do it and uh, they asked for a volunteer, I did it. Uh, happened to be somebody in the audience who was at the time Bobby George's compere. Um, he was away for a few weeks holiday and needed someone to stand in. So I stood in for six weeks uh, with Bobby George to compare his shows basically and wound up doing six years on the road with him. That was. It's not a job you can apply for, it's a complete accident to get into this job I think. I'm uh, I'm I'm sure you can play darts to a to a decent level yourself. Uh, many moons ago, that was uh, obviously that's how I got into it. Yeah, uh, when I when I was in my teens, late teens, I was decent. Now, sadly, it's uh, it's easier to. Uh, I won't be getting on the stage playing. I can get on there refing, but it won't be by playing. That's for sure. What's the what's the ceiling for darts? Because we were talking earlier in the show about the uh, the prize money and how it's risen dramatically. Uh, the averages have, have shot up across world championships year on year. Clearly, the quality is getting better. But I mean, where where does it end? Because I suppose with with prize money like that, players have to be practicing all the time. Well, yeah. I mean, now the the game is becoming a, a I would say a younger game. Now there's a lot of um, they've got a great system now to, for for bringing the youth through and and, and the younger t- late teen players and early 20 players and now you've got a, there's a young there's a young guy from Ireland Josh Rock that everyone's touting as the new hot property in the game I think Josh is like 20, 21 something like that um, fantastic player he makes his debut this week and I think the ceiling's endless at the moment I, I mean I wouldn't be surprised in the next five years to see the winner of the world championships win a million First prize. That's I think that's the aim from the powers to be, and you know I think I think it's achievable. It's, it's massive at the moment. It's funny the um, the impact that a, that a breakthrough star can have on a country's interest in a sport. Like I often think of Ken Doherty winning the, the 1997 World Snooker Championship in Ireland and the impact that had here. Like if you look at uh, and even we have players now, I guess like Keen Barry and Daryl Gurney and Willie O'Connor. All it takes, I suppose, in a country is is one big breakthrough, and then all of a sudden, the interest levels are are dramatically risen. But well, that, that you 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 did right. That's correct. That's, uh, I mean, I think that's the aim of the PDC is to get people from different countries, or they'd like people from different countries to be able to win the world title. I mean, it would happen with the Dutch, obviously, back in the day with uh, Raymond van Barneveld, and then obviously Michael van Gerwen, and you know, you, day one is. Already, Mickey Mantle's uh, on the first session. So's uh, Nathan Rafferty taking on Jermaine Watamina. So the, the the Irish dancers never. I think you know. As you said, Willie O'Connor. He's got a 
He's got an interesting match against uh, Bo Greaves, uh, the new hot property in a women's game that I think a lot of people are looking forward to. But Willie's quite a wily character and that'd be a tough game for Bo to to beat William over that distance. But I think the Irish darts has never been in a a better place at the moment. And uh, Rock's a really exciting prospect and a lot of people think he's going to go on to do great things. But uh, there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders for a young man, but he seems to be able to handle it and... Be interested to see how, how Josh performs in in this World Championship coming up because I think the world is oyster. He's got the ability. It's just whether he can go, you know, progress on the on the path that everyone thinks he will do. Have some players over the years, George, been tougher to deal with than others on stage? Like are there characters where you're like, oh, not this guy? No, no. He's, <laughs> I mean, he's as good as gold, Josh. Really, really nice, nice kid. Um, yeah, you get your characters. You get your. There's a lot of testosterone up there. They they want to win. They're playing for a lot of money. Um, certain players may do certain things possibly they shouldn't, but you know that's my job to sort of try to keep them in line. Atmosphere-wise, I mean, Ali Pali just looks unbelievable for a lot of people. It's on a it's on a bucket list, sporting terms, um, and the World Grand Prix of Darts in Dublin as well. That's another that's another event that I'm sure gets the gets the crowd going. I mean, the great venues are odd, you know, obviously Ali Pali. Um, the World Grand Prix in Dublin, and obviously the match play at the Blackpool Winter Gardens. There, you know, they get the the big atmospheres. I mean, the, they have a Premier League in in uh, one in Belfast, and obviously one uh, at the Odyssey, and one at the. Uh, it used to be called the O2. I don't know if it still is in in Dublin. Um, that that's a that's an excellent atmosphere, the O2 for for a one-off Premier Premier League night, but. Yeah, look, Ali Pali is, is the pinnacle. That's what everyone strives towards. That's what all the players want to win. I mean, just to be crowned once, you know, is is, is a massive achievement in any in any sport to be crowned world champion. So I know, like, there's, I mean, see your characters, I guess, for me, who's looking like um, winning it this year, I suppose. We um, we had a conversation on the show last week about, um, I think it was Sean Murphy brought it up on, on Twitter, Talking about the the difficulty of of certain sporting achievements, it was the one four seven, the nine darter, of course, and the hole in one in golf. Um, where do you sit in this argument, George? As someone heavily involved in darts? Well, I, I, I've I've seen Sean's post as well. Sean claims to have done a nine dart finish. Do you believe one four seven and a hole in one? There's a lot of There's a lot of scepticism <laughs> from inside our game that Sean's actually achieved a nine dart finish. But well, I can't. I wouldn't say he hasn't. But a, a lot of the, a lot of the professional players doubt that he has. Let's put it that way. Um, look, they're both difficult. I understand the argument. They're saying there's more shots in snooker, and every shot's different. But then you can't fluke a treble. Whereas Cliff Forburn went for a red band into the bottom left pocket, rattled, went across the jaws into the bottom right pocket, fluked the red, and made a one four seven. So. I'm not sure where I, look they're both difficult and all in one I would suggest is is a little bit more of a, a luck thing yeah you've still got to be good and strike the ball well but yeah I mean I'm going to choose darts obviously but I mean a, a lot of the dart players say that, that you know the snooker's harder but then you know when you play a different sport that you're not a professional mate, you always find it more difficult but I don't know really it's a good argument I guess look there's more shots in snooker but as I said, you can't fluke a you can't fluke a treble twenty like you can a red. It obviously took ages for you to get your first televised nine dart finished. Um, now, when it's happening uh, in the middle of it, are you like, oh, it's on here? And do you know? Can you tell from the body language of the the ones who are going to make it and who aren't going to make it? 
No, I always think they're going to miss. Right. <laughs> I just always do because, like, t- to be fair, 99 times out of 100, they do miss. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the player. If it's like Van Gerwen or Price, you'll probably fancy him a little bit more. Or Peter Wright, someone like that, the more... Um, I mean, Josh Rock done it. I done one a visit the, uh, against uh, MVG at the uh, Grand Slam. I mean, did I think he'd get it? I, actually, I did at that. For some reason, it just looked like he was going to get it. But a lot of the times, I think they're going to miss. You can't really tell, no. You seem to have refereed a lot of nine daughters for some reason. Like, I remember the, was it Phil Taylor did the, um, the two and one in two and one leg? Um, I mean, quite an extraordinary achievement. Yeah, I mean, I think. I don't know. I don't count them. Somebody does, and every time there's one, they tweet. I think I probably, I think I'm leading. I don't know. I think I've refed, but I mean, I don't do the nine dar. Obviously, I get to referee them, see them up close, which is great. But yeah, Phil done two against James Wade in the final of the Premier League. I can't recall what year. It's 2010, somewhere around there. Um, MVG's done two in a game in a pro tour. I mean, MVG missed a double to do back-to-backs in the world. I mean, I've never seen that, and will I ever see it? I don't. That's the closest I've ever seen. I'm not sure. Look, I guess it'll probably be done one day, but, I mean, that was the chance to do back, back-to-back nines. is like unheard of. But, I mean, but you're talking about, like, some of the greatest players that's ever lived. So, I mean, they are capable of doing it. But Did you did you like maths in school, George? I was always good at mental maths, but they used to think I cheated because I played darts as a kid, a kid like when I was like from four years old. So my mental maths was really good. But like, like long division and all that, like I wasn't so good at long division. But So I, I'd get a test paper and I'd just look at the uh, sums and write the answers down But because I didn't show no working out. They thought I used to cheat. Do you mind if I test your skills here? I've got, fi- I've got five sums for you. I'm, oh dear. I'm putting you massively on the spot here. But I suppose yeah, you're on the spot on stage anyway. On right, I'll give you five. I'll give you five. I don't know if we have any music for or any of this. Just to, oh, it's a clock as well, just to add to the pressure. <laughs> All right, George, seventy plus forty-two plus fifty-seven. Uh, sorry, I didn't hear that. Seventy plus forty-two plus fifty-seven. One hundred fifty-nine. I have one hundred sixty-nine, but you're. I, I could be entirely wrong. Sixteen. Oh, Sixteen multiplied by nine. Sixteen multiplied by nine. What is that, 144? Correct. Now, these are the darts ones. Treble 8, treble 12, double 17. What was the first treble? Treble 8. Treble 8, treble, treble 12. 12 and double 17. That's 111. The, cl- the clock's run out, but we're going to continue. We're going to continue. Bullseye, double 3, treble 18. Bullseye, treble 3, treble 18. Double, th- double 3 and treble 18. Sorry, I can't hear you properly. Is it double or treble? What three is that? Double or treble? Double. Double three, treble 18 and bullseye is 110. Correct. And the final one for you, George. Treble 20, treble 19, double seven. Well, that's 138. This is ridiculous. Like, there you go. I mean, I don't know I don't know how you do it. It's um, <laughs> Especially when it's on stage. Like, do, do you ever... Are there ever mistakes? I know players sometimes make mistakes in uh, counting up their... Oh, everybody, makes, everybody makes mistakes, but it's generally... The worst mistake is, is when you think you're right and the player questions you and you're right, but you second-guess you, you, you second yourself because... They, I mean, the times that they'll go the wrong way without asking it amazes me. I mean, most of the time, it's my job to know what they want and it's their job to ask me. But they'll stand there, look at the board, look at the, uh, the market board, look at the dart board, look at the market board, look at the dart board and go for the completely the wrong thing. I can tell them what they want. I can't tell them how to get it. 
But the hardest thing is when they, when they actually just don't even look and then throw for the complete wrong treble and you think, hang on a minute, am I right or am I wrong? Yeah. But most of the time, I'm right and they're wrong. <laughs> exactly. And when you consider the, the prize money on stake, I guess, uh, you know, ma- making a mental arithmetic mistake like that can be, can be pretty costly, which is, which is not good. Well, look, if, you know, I could, if I cost someone a match, I could potentially cost them winning the World Championships, which potentially could be a half a million pound first prize. So I'm sure they wouldn't be too happy with me. But, you know, mistakes happen. I, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm not going to make a mistake because everybody does. You know, even the, I got the first question wrong, I think, on your on your sums. <laughs> clock. Clock killed me. The clock was a bit there of you pressure. Go. You don't have the clock on stage. Uh, finally, for me, George, and uh, look, I, I, I was watching a great video yesterday on YouTube how you're... Um, your 180 calls have changed over the years or your voice has maybe I don't know adapted or maybe that's just over time that happens um, yeah. I was going to I was going to practice it on air on air with you until my voice completely went kaput mm-hmm. are, are you able to give us the best possible promo we could ever ever have a darts referee giving us a, a full on 180 I know you have to look after your voice but you can give us the best promo of all time well, I'll give it a go here we go one I love it. That that sound that sound means Christmas now, George. Christmas is here. You've made a young man very You've made a young man very happy, George. Thanks a million. Cheers, have a good day. You too, happy Christmas to you. And you. Bye bye. It's uh, George Noble there. I think that's the first one off the ball. It's the greatest day of your life, Shane. Yeah. We've got a we've got a live one eighty from referee. I mean gonna show that to Phil Egan outside and myself and Phil will be chatting about it for a few hours. <laughs> Quite a moment. Uh, 9.32 this morning OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day tomorrow Ron Nogara Kevin Caban and um, plenty more uh, Nathan's going to be joined by John Giles this evening for a reaction um, was there two quick comments I wanted to do at the bottom here okay delete 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 uh, club championship should be played first before the county championship says Richard Barry uh, the finals will be played in better weather and local pitches will be better a player in good form could make the county panel it does seem to make sense mm. now players stepping up from club to county it's going to happen less and less if you weren't part of the development squads but it does seem to make some sense however then we'd have to get used to the inter-county games all being fairly boring 9-8 scores and people would be unhappy with that so and then the last one that I wanted to do Fergus Keogh says no Shane the stars haven't aligned astrology is BS remember that was the joke Fergus that was the joke that was literally the joke you didn't notice the side glance I gave Ger you're like Explaining it now has ruined the joke in the first place. But thanks for thanks for the comments, Frank. We appreciate all of your comments. They underappreciate my comedic timing and genius. I mean, come on, pearls before swine. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.